On today's episode of Titus and Tate, we are celebrating the return of college basketball. College basketball is back, Tate. Uh, nature is, is, is healing. Mm-hmm. We have a ton of stuff going on in the world of college basketball. You and I, we've been doing some shows where we kind of dabble in other sports. We're kind of just, you know, living our lives, absorbing sports as they come. Whatever, whatever little bit of sports we can get, we'll, mm-hmm. uh, we'll mm-hmm. consume it. We'll talk about it on the show. Uh, today, we are doing a very heavy college basketball show, and here's why. Number one... Mm-hmm. Amani Bates, the number one recruit in the country, he's the number one recruit. He's he's not uh, uh, unlike Cade Cunningham, who is also the number one recruit, and mm-hmm. Jalen Green, who is also mm-hmm. the number. Mm-hmm. We have three number one recruits in the mm-hmm. country. Whoever makes a huge announcement is the most important yep. recruit at the time, therefore the number one recruit. In fact, Fox Sports put out the list of the the 1.0 recruits, and mm-hmm. I feel like we've had a lot more than we've the list put out. <laughs> we've had a lot of them. Uh, as I said, my little video I did for for Fox. Uh, we have had like 15 once-in-a-generation players in this generation. But uh, Amani Bates is the latest. He committed today to Michigan State. We are going to talk about that. It feels good to have a, a five-star guy, a number one recruit, appear on national television, put the hat on. It's been a while since we've got to celebrate that. Uh, also, big moment in, in legal – the legal Sagas. Yes. Yeah, we'll say it that way. Not necessarily playing out on the court, but I don't know how many people are aware of this, Tate – on Wednesday, it is official. UConn mm-hmm. is back in the Big East. Back. It is something that was announced previously. We've been waiting for the legal date. It is July 1st. July 1st hits. UConn is officially back in the Big East. Order is being restored in college mm-hmm. basketball. So today, to celebrate the old Big East coming back, Tate and I are going to do a draft of our top 10 old Big East moments. If you pay any attention to the show, you know how much Tate and I love the old Big East. Mm-hmm. We kind of mock the sensibility of, of the old Big East uh, just because we're idiots that like making jokes about everything, but we truly do love it just as much as everyone else loved it. Uh, and you count us back, Tate, so we're going to celebrate that today. Not a dime back. Not a dime. <laughs> we're going uh, to do a draft of on-court, mm. off-court, a uh, little bit of both. Doesn't matter if it had anything to do with the old Big East. You can pick that moment uh, in time as one of your picks. So we're going to go through and pick our top. 10. This is the T and T requiem for the Big yeah. East. You know that was yeah. the thirty for thirty. This is our turn. Meanwhile, yeah, Dickie V throwing out tweets against Will Wade and LSU. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it is such a great day to be a college basketball fan. We are we are stuck in the middle of a pandemic. The tournament was canceled. We have no idea when basketball is coming back for real. College basketball certainly. It feels like there's not a lot to talk about. And then today, the stars align. Tate. College basketball's back. I'm so excited. We're going to get into all of it. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Technical foul. All right, we have a ton to get to. We're doing this uh, top 10 old Big East draft. Uh, that's going to take God knows how long because there's so many moments to go through. We're, we usually do the top five of this stuff, Tate, but mm-hmm. uh, we, we were fleshing this out, and there is so much to pull from from the old Big East to celebrate mm-hmm. UConn's return back that uh, we decided to make it a top 10 thing, and that's going to take a while. So we'll, we'll save that for, for later. First, got we got to hit the news of the day. Amani Bates commits to Michigan State, the number mm-hmm. one recruit. He is of the 2022 class. He just finished his – sophomore year was named Gatorade National Player of the Year as a sophomore something I don't think's ever been done before um he is being tabbed as the best recruit since LeBron James the best recruit mm-hmm. since the last recruit who was the best recruit since LeBron James the He's most happy. famous bait since Kathy is what they're saying about this kid <laughs> everyone's very excited about him and uh yeah he's at he's at the level right now where this is where you want to be as a recruit. People haven't seen much about you. It's kind of seventh woods was in this territory as a sophomore. You know, you've seen the highlights, you've seen the good plays, 
we're hyped about it. The, the main thing for you and I, Titus, is this kid basically said, the G League money, I don't nah, need it. Nah, I don't not want me. it. Yeah. Not for me. Yeah. I want, you know, tradition. I want college basketball. I want the moment. I want and, to put my uh, arm around Tom Izzo as I stand on the sidelines and he's yelling at me and I'm like, come on, coach. It's come on, coach. <laughs> and I want to announce on SportsCenter. You know what I mean? Yes. And everyone's kind of like, who is this kid? I guess I'm excited about this. So we got all those moments, which is great for college basketball. And I kind of want to, you know, in Interstellar, they call it the Lazarus Project. And I think that's where we are in college basketball. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of people, they've told us that we are yep. dead, that yep. we will never come back. Yep. We will never revive. Yep. Um, the haters, as we call them on this program. A lot of haters out there, Tate. And Imani Bates is basically doing what Lazarus did. He is coming back. He, <laughs> he, he's bringing life back to college basketball. And for that, we have to say thank you. We thank you, Imani Bates. Uh, we, we won't discuss, really, that this commitment means nothing, ultimately. We, I, let, let's just be frank. I've never seen him play. So uh, calling, yeah, yeah. calling him the savior. Listen, I mean, it, it's, it's, you're well within your rights to be skeptical about the, mm-hmm. the, all the billings, all the, the marketing, um, the hype that they're throwing out there about the best mm-hmm. guy since LeBron. Uh, I don't blame you at this point if you're skeptical. We've, we've heard this. I've lost track how many times. The, the, the most egregious I'll ever – this will always be the most egregious to me is I remember when Jabari Parker committed to Duke mm-hmm. and everyone called him the best le- recruit since LeBron. This is the biggest deal ever. And mm-hmm. then Andrew Wiggins reclassifies, commits to Kansas – Everyone went nuts and said, this is a huge deal because this guy's the best recruit since LeBron. And I mm-hmm. said, they're both in the same class. How is this possible? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one really questioned it. They said, it does, just stop, stop asking questions. Just, just, this is the best recruit since LeBron. Be that as it may, he might be. I don't know. I, I'm with you. We don't really watch recruiting. We don't, we don't follow this super close. Like we follow, I follow names a little bit, and, and you kind of pay attention to Twitter. But I'm not out here breaking down film of, of 16-year-old Imani Bates and, and trying to decide – where he fought, what, what my composite score ranking is. Is it 0.99999 or is it 1.0? Where do you fall? I don't know. But if everyone's saying he's the best since LeBron, we'll celebrate it. We're excited about it. It's great for college basketball because, as you said, he uh, – I, I don't think this commitment necessarily means anything yet because mm-hmm. he could still go the pro route when the time comes. He's still a couple years away from, like, actually having to make a decision uh, in that regard. But the fact that he's in, he's getting in front of cameras, he's, he's preaching loyalty. Michigan State has recruited him for years and years and years, ever since he was in middle school, which was basically like last year, I guess. The kid's mm-hmm. so young. But he's, he's, he's preaching loyalty, and he, he explicitly says the G League route is not for him. So if nothing else, it's a small victory for us right now, for us college basketball people. And uh, if he ultimately breaks our heart and goes – to Australia or something in a couple of years. We'll deal with that later. It's For okay. Now, it's awesome. okay. I think, I think this is a smart move too. If you're these players, like if you're a young guy that has notoriety, if you're Bronny James, right? Bronny already has, I think he's averaging 6.4 points per game for his high school. He's coming yep. off the bench, but he has offers from Kansas, Kentucky, Carolina, and Duke. Okay. That's yep. a good spot to be in. Go yep. on sports center. And you, and, and this is your decision. You know, this yep. is Bronny's decision 2.0. He goes out there and he says, I'm going to go to Duke. Everyone gets excited. But then if Coach K is not there in two or three years or whenever he's going to get there, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go to Australia or I'm going to go to the G League or whatever it may be. But the Duke fans are already loyal to you because for the rest of your career, they can say, what if? Like with with J.R. Smith, you know, for me. I'm like, what if J.R. Smith had gone to North Carolina? In my mind, he did. 
That's a great point because uh, going to college, one, one of the inherent advantages of going to college, even though you obviously don't make money or wink, wink, maybe you do under the table, whatever. You uh, get loyalty. One, you get fame. One, yes. You have a built-in fan base. If you're a guy mm-hmm. who goes to Kentucky, those Kentucky fans are going to love you for the rest of your career. You put out a, a new sneaker. All the Kentucky fans are going to want it. They're going to buy your jersey when you go to the league. You have a built-in fan base. Maybe this is a Monty Bates way of having his cake, eating it too. The time comes. The, the NBA, CBA gets torn up because – they don't finish this year and, and whatever, all that legal mess happens. Uh, the, the CBA gets torn up. They rewrite it. They allow guys to come out of high school that when Amani Bates, you know, the time comes, he just goes straight to the league. Along the way, maybe that re- maybe they start landing other recruits because all these guys commit to Michigan State because they want to play with Monty Bates. So all the Michigan State fans love him, and he still gets to go to the league early. And then, uh, you know, when uh, whenever he releases his shoe or his jersey or whatever, he's going to always have the Michigan State fans. It's genius. It's it's a, it's well played on his part. It's well played because it's a zag as well. You know, everyone right now, it, the, the cool thing to do is go to the G League or, or go to Australia or go to Lithuania or whatever yeah. it may be. But to, to be able to do something traditional like go to Michigan State, just like Magic yeah. Johnson, and it be viewed as a zag in a um, favorable way. That's great. Yeah. That's a Michi- he's a Michigan kid. I love that. I always love that. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about it when Zion Williamson broke Clemson's heart. Um, we talk about it frequently with these recruiting, uh, these big recruits. Anytime a guy goes to the in-state school, I love it. It's very exciting. Uh, just so when John Wall went to Kentucky, that broke yeah. NC State's heart. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, they, yeah. They, yeah. These are moments. These yeah. Are moments. Just the fact that the Big Ten is landing like a, a one of the generational talents of this generation. <laughs> one of the one of the once in a generation guys. The Big Ten is finally landing him. Tate. This is something the Big Ten historically does not do. You have to go back to basically Greg Oden in 2006, the last time that the Big Ten got someone who like all of college basketball like. You know, like the, the the guy could name his – Greg in 2006 could have said, I want to go to this school that didn't have any scholarships, that already had five centers, mm-hmm. and that coach would have been like, sure, we're going to kick guys off the team and make room for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the same is true with the Monty Bates. He's that good, apparently. I don't know. That's what people are saying. And the Big Ten <laughs> – We have not watched him play back. Yeah, the <laughs> so Big Ten traditionally does not get these guys, Tate. And so getting getting one of these guys is great for the league. That's exactly. My final point before we get on to the, the best part of today, which is a, a draft of the old Big East, I have to point out that Tom Izzo is giving me Bono vibes um, <laughs> in the sense that, you know, he always wants to be first. And I, and I saw, you know, he's the coach of the decade, right? We're all like, okay, of course, yeah. Tom, you're the coach of the decade. You get it. You got it. And then there was this graphic that CBB on Fox put out. They're like, it, it was nine, you know, five-star recruits had gone to Indiana. Nine had gone to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, Tom Izzo, not number one on that list. Very Bono of him. He says, I need to be number one on that list. I will not be number two. Mm-hmm. And right now he's getting a five-star guy. And, you know, we saw Jaron Jackson. We saw Miles Bridges. He's adding these guys to the resume to say he was not only the best coach, but the best recruiter in the mm-hmm. Big Ten because he refuses not to be number one. And I think a lot of people respect that, but I'm just pointing it out. It's very Bono. But is he the best national champion winner Time will tell. We need to. I will tell. Yeah, <laughs> the Big knows. Ten needs a national championship. Yeah, enough about that. But that, but that is exciting. It's genuinely exciting that that a guy he uh, the, the the commitment doesn't necessarily mean anything, like because it's a verbal commitment. He can change his mind, like we said. But at the same time, he didn't need to do it. So that mm-hmm. kind of means something to me. That like Amani Bates could have easily just been just kept saying, "I'm not gonna say anything until that." You know, I could have mm-hmm. kept kicking the can down the road until it's time to make a decision. But he comes out and he's like, no, I want to play college basketball to hell with the G League. That's cool, even if it's only temporary. 
Final thought again. Does this does this say that Tom Izzo is officially in the one and done game with with Ooh, with you know Coach K with Coach K? I mean, obviously Miles Bridges comes back, so he's not a one and done. Jaron yep. Jackson, but he kind of was. A, he was. A, but he, he kind of was. He was the one and done that stayed two years. Yes, yeah. yes exactly. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's a great question. Is he? Da- is, was Gary Harris one and done too, or is he two? He I think two, he was right? two as well. Yeah, yes. but he was a one and done. That was two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We just rewrite history. Like all the guys there. Cassius Winston was a one and done. That was there. <laughs> that was four years. years. Yeah, he played. He wanted to stay for four. <laughs> Josh Langford's a one and done. That'll mm-hmm. be there for seven years when he gets all the the injury redshirt. Uh, that's funny. All right. Well, enough about Amani Bates. Uh, let's get to what we're really excited about today, Tate, which is mm-hmm. UConn back in the Big East. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, it hasn't happened yet. There's still time. Go buy the champagne. Pop the bottles. <laughs> Wednesday is the big day, Tate. Mm-hmm. July first hits. UConn is back. One of the founding members of the Big East. I believe there were seven, eight. How many? Let me count them. There's Providence. I'll count Mm -hmm. them out. Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, Boston College, Georgetown, UConn, Syracuse. Yeah, seven. Those are the seven. Mm -hmm. Uh, UConn was one of them. In 1979, a great year for basketball. 1979. Everyone remembers 2013 happens. Everyone decides football. Like they, they look at the books. They're like, oh my God, football makes a significant amount of money. We didn't realize this until mm-hmm. 2013. Conference realignment starts happening. <laughs> Musical chairs. Not a dime back. Not a dime. <laughs> Before you know it, UConn's just stuck sitting there scratching their ass. They get stuck in the American with uh, with with South Florida and, and <laughs> SMU and all them. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's very disheartening because UConn – invented the Big East. They, held, they were one of the founding members. And finally, at long last, order has been restored. They are coming back. Do you have any thoughts you want to share before we get into this? I just have to say this. When, you, when I think about the old Big East, all I think about is rivalries that are uh, mythology, right? They are just the ultimate things that we all remember watching. Uh, you know, maybe not all of us, but you know. I remember stuff from the 80s and I wasn't even alive yet. It's, it's folklore, and it's yeah. almost like a Johnny Appleseed type thing where these stories have been passed on from parents to kids to coaches to whoever it may be in life, and, and everyone knows the characters. We know the Calhouns. We know the Bayheims, we, we, we know the Massiminos. We know these people. We know these coaches, and we know their stories, and they all hated each other. Oh. Allegedly, apparently, and it As, was just vicious. In the words of Jim Calhoun, my first 10 years in the Big East were magical. Then we got civilized and ruined everything. That's what he, that's what I was a Jim Calhoun quote. You and I like to ham it up when we talk about the old Big East because uh, that's just what we do. And, and we, but we, we do we, it we laugh out in the same we, vein as those who have done it to yeah, us. Yeah, that's yeah, the only exactly. Like we, exactly. but we genuinely do love it. I, I was doing some research for all this and I came across this state. Buckle up for this one. Mm. Are you aware that, that for, let, let me throw out a, before I get to the thing I was going to say, I'll, I'll throw this at you. So the big e- the first season of the Big East is 1979-80 yep. season. Yep. Um, so from 1980 to 1990, that's 11 years of, of the first 11 years of the Big East, every single one of the founding members, all seven of them, made at least one Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. Five of those seven made Final Four State. Do you understand how ridiculous that is? That you basically conjure up a conference out of thin air, and then everyone, every single team in the conference – goes on a run. And then the one of the teams that didn't make a Final Four is UConn. UConn, UConn didn't really do anything until the 90s. Uh, and then UConn's won four national titles since. It's incredible when you look back on it, the run that the Big East had. Um, but the one thing I wanted to th- – the, 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 the big – the entree of, of this little rant I'm going on that I wanted to throw at you is this. In my research, I, I uncovered this. In the 1986-87 season, these were the mm-hmm. coaches in the Big East Conference. They were all there at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. You have John Thompson at Georgetown, yep, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, mm-hmm. Jim Calhoun at UConn, mm-hmm. Rick Pitino at Providence, Luke Karnasek at St. John's, Raleigh Massimino at Villanova, 
it was Jim O'Brien's first year at Boston College. Jim O'Brien, <laughs> who then goes on to, to mm-hmm. Ohio State. and He had taken over for Gary Williams. So Gary Williams was there the year before. But now Jim O'Brien's there. Still a great coach in his own right. Seton Hall had P.J. Carlissimo. And then Pete had Paul Evans, who not a lot of people remember, but he was kind of out of his mind as well. And an assistant coach on Paul Evans' staff at Pitt in the 1986-87 season was John Calipari. Oh. All of those coaches were in the mm. Big East at that time. And one season, during one season, they were all there. And during that season, a young Rick Pitino was going to anoint himself as the hot new young coach that decided mm-hmm. the three-point line was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> going to take a team to the Final Four. And that's with the Billy thing with Donovan it. as his best it, it's. It, that's the problem with the whole – the Big East was perfectly timed. It was perfectly, yeah. perfectly suited for the time. And Magic Johnson and Bird playing 79 in that title game. College basketball has 40 million people watching. People mm-hmm. are going crazy. They're like, what, what is this? College basketball is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then we got the doctors of dunk, you know, and everyone's like the slam dunk is back. We now love the slam dunk. We used to hate it when Kareem did it, but now we love yeah. it. It's weird how that works 12 years later. Uh, and the Big East was right there for the prime run of it all. And they were in the middle of all of it. And they had underdogs like Massimino and Villanova. They had stalwarts like Ewing and Georgetown. Um, it, it was just like the perfect story arc. And, I, forget uh, the, I forget the time frame, but I, I want to say it was in with a, within like a 12-month window. Maybe we'll say 18 months just to be safe. Uh, the 1979 title game happens, as you said, mm. Bird Bird versus Magic, uh, most famous title game we've ever had in college basketball, most watched. Like it's 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 like a, a seminal moment in college basketball. Eighteen history. million households, forty yeah. million people. That sticks in my head because it's so ridiculous. It's free day. Forty million people watch it. Uh, but within an 18 month window, we have that title game, the creation of the Big East, and the start of ESPN in the Northeast, in Connecticut, right by UConn's camp. Like, all of all of those stars In the hiring aligned. of Coach Dick Vitale. Yeah. He was hired <laughs> yeah. in 1980, right when it started. I mean, that's all, the start of college of those, basketball. All of those stars aligned. Uh, and and not, that, not that, like, the Big East was lucky. And I, it's not like, you know, I, I still think if the Big East started in 1986, it would have been awesome as well. But uh, just – you look back on it, you're like, that is amazing. Uh, when you think back on the Big East as a whole, it, it does feel sort of – it has like a Saturday Night Live vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Where like, if you were a college basketball coach or player or, or any – and you, ex- you, you existed in the 1980s slash 90s, and you don't have some sort of tie to the Big East. Like, if you weren't like a graduate assistant at one of these schools <laughs> at one point, or like if you didn't play there, mm-hmm. like it feels like you kind of aren't as important, you know? Because it feels like literally everybody had some sort of connection to the Big East. That's not true, but that's what it feels like. I mean, you're thinking like John Calipari is assistant at Pitt. You're, I, I mean, I don't know how many people remember that. You're like, oh, my God. Like, everybody seems to – Billy Donovan played at Providence. And, like, just all the cross-pollination. Like, everyone seems to have dipped their toes in the Big East at some point in time, whether you're there for a long run like Bayheim and, and, mm-hmm. and Calhoun and John Thompson or whether it was just like a one- or two-year thing. Like, Patino was only there for two years at Providence. But mm-hmm. he was there, and he got mm-hmm. a stamp of his approval, and he got out. It's amazing. And it's like the old like bastion of New York basketball too, right? It's like this little inner circle of like Philadelphia. It's like old East Coast basketball. And that's why it's so perfect that it's the old Big East because it's like all these guys in Philadelphia and New Jersey and New York finding these talented kids and then being able to funnel them through the system. And like you said, it was like a, a small little fraternity of coaches that yeah. are all very familiar with each other, that are all you know competing with each other, all advancing the game. And then the talent pool that they're pulling from is – unlike we've ever seen in college basketball, <laughs> if you really look at it. Um, and that's not even mentioned the guys that, you know, fell through the cracks that were so talented. And, you know, you, you mentioned being the next great one. There was a myriad of those in the 80s, uh, the Diamonds and the Rough. And uh, the Big East is full of those guys. Uh, I mean, we, we're going to talk about a lot let's of them. Let's do it. You want to get and, into and, it? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's start drafting. I'm ready. All right, so we're going to draft. Um, how do we want to decide 
who goes first? Because this is going to be a contentious draft in the sense that uh, there are a lot of great moments at the top, and I think we're going to be fighting each other for who gets to claim them. My idea, because I actually don't know this off the top of my head, and if you don't either, I say we do mm-hmm. it this way. All right, let's do it. How many national championships did the Biggies claim from 1979 to 2013? The original Biggies. We're not talking about the new Villanova, mm-hmm. uh, the, the two that they won. They don't count for our purposes here. How many national championships? Do you want to say our number at the exact same time? Yeah, let's do that. And then we'll work through it and figure out who's the closest. Let's do it. Perfect. All right. Three. Are we going to count that? Yeah, yeah. On the count of three. One, two, three, five. Six. Okay. All right. Let's figure this out. All right. All right. Let's work. So, uh, (laughs) 1980 is the first season. That's Louisville. That's Louisville. That doesn't count. Yeah, it doesn't count. That doesn't count because they were in the Metro, right? Yep, yep, um, yep, yep. 81 eight. is Ronald Reagan is shot. Indiana, Indiana. It forces Carolina to play in that game. Uh, right. So Bob Knight okay, wins that so game. So not 81. Uh, so that's Big 82, 82 ACC. is UNC. Yep, yeah, exactly. 83 is... Uh, Valvano. Yep, yep Valvano. Yep. 84 is Georgetown, right? Big East, yes. 1984, that's one. 85 is Villanova. Big East. East. Georgetown. Yep. Uh, 86, 86 is, is Louisville. Louisville. Yep. 87 is Indiana. Indiana. 88 is Kansas. Larry Brown. Yeah. <laughs> 89 is Michigan beat Seton Hall. Almost had one there. Yeah, 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 yeah. 90s UNLV. Yep. 91 is Duke and Coach Duke. K. 92 is Duke and Coach K. 93 is, of course, Woody Durham's great call. Uh, yep. The North Carolina Tar Heels. 94. 94. Arkansas beats Duke and Charlotte, right? Yep, 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 yep. yep. 95 is UCLA. Yes. 96 is Kentucky. <laughs> 97 is Arizona. 90. I messed up. When we got to 95, I wanted to say Gottfried. And, uh, oh, and I, yeah. we just get well, by right. Yeah. All right, 95, Gottfried. All right, All right. Yeah. 98 is, is Kentucky again. We're up to 98. Yep. 99 is UConn. UConn. That counts. Yep, that first down. one. 2000 is Big Ten's last title, Michigan State. 2001 yep. is Coach K, Jay Williams, Duke. Uh, 2002 is technically the last Big Ten title, Maryland. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> 2003, oh, Carmelo. You're going to win. Okay. We're already at four, and I know this. We're at four. Uh, and then 04 is Big East. Yeah. You're, oh, my God. Emeka, Okafor. Can, over, I just, before we, can I just stop right here and apologize to the Biggies for saying five? I can't believe I'm an idiot. Now that I'm seeing it fleshed out. Well, it's just it, only the reason I, I said more than five is because of UConn. And I'm like, UConn well, sneaks up on me. It felt like, yeah, UConn. Well, I knew they had, I knew UConn had three, but it felt to me like, I guess I was thinking the Big East was a situation where. It, it, the big, like the Big East. Be honest, so you big. forgot Georgetown. You forgot Georgetown <laughs> in 84. That's what it was. Because the people East, do not remember they, that Patrick Ewing won a title. He won they really title. don't. They he remember back to back. They remember him losing in '85 <laughs> and '82. They don't remember him winning '84. I I think uh, in my mind the Big East is so big that like it feels like a conference where like people it, it swallows up the NCAA tournament to where like I guess I was thinking like not that many win, but people like Big East fans don't care because they would mm-hmm. rather win the Big East tournament. That's more important anyway. Like that kind of thing. Of course, I'm an idiot. So where are we at? We're at 05 is, We're in is 05, Carolina, North Carolina. 0607 is Florida. Florida. 08 is Kansas. Which we could say Billy Donovan could be ripple effect biggies because he goes to the <laughs> yeah. final four Asterisk. in 87. Yeah, yeah. So that could be that could be counted. Uh 08 is Bill Self in Kansas, Big 12. Yeah. 09, Carolina. 10 yep. is Duke. 11. 11. UConn. UConn. So that's 11. There we go. Uh, uh 12. 12 is Kentucky. Oh, wow. Thir- and then 13 is Louisville with an asterisk. That's a genuine asterisk. Uh, yes. But it doesn't matter because you already won. So one, two, three, four, that's five. That's seven, six, though, right? Seven. Yeah. If you take away Louisville's in 2013, and officially six. we do, you were right on the money. Six. Either way, you get to go first. Uh, you win. You said six. 
um, that was nice. People enjoyed that reading of a Wikipedia page that we just provided them. Yeah, well, to, <laughs> well, to explain, well, look, we had to break it down ourselves. Uh, and also to explain the, the draft process, this would be my number one pick, right? The way that we're doing this. This would be like, I want to take the, this pick as my top pick uh, okay. that I want to get on my team, right? Is that how we're doing this? Yeah, I mean, oh, okay. we're gonna we're, let's alternate first of all. You, you're yes. picking to to reiterate what we're doing is any moment from 1979 to 2013 mm-hmm. involving Big Ten or Big East <laughs> basketball. It, it, you're just picking the moment. You're picking like the moment in time, the memory, the whatever. Uh, you get the whole thing. You can uh, it, it can be on court, off court. Mm-hmm. It can be a legend. It could be a story that like isn't actually true, but like you heard it was. Doesn't matter. It's it, the, we can run the whole game. We have a this is the this is the w- most wide open draft we've ever done on the show. My number one pick, yep. the Lou Karnaseka sweater game in Madison okay. Square Garden, February 27th, 1985. Number one, St. John's hosting number two, Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Big John Thompson shows up to MSG. He had lost to St. John's earlier in the year. They had won 13 straight games at, at that point in time. Everyone is saying, oh, my gosh, this St. John's team, they're amazing. These guys are incredible. They're going to win the title. And so, and it was all about the luck of the sweater, this ugly sweater that Karnaseka mm-hmm. was wearing all the time. And what does Big John do? Big John goes and buys that same sweater, Mark Titus. He walks in to the <laughs> MSG crowd. He flashes the lucky sweater to say the luck is over. They yeah. beat the brakes off of St. John's in this game. And then in the Big East Championship game, in the, in the tournament championship game, they beat St. John's again, uh, yep. Georgetown and Big John. And then they're like, you know what? Uh, you know, let's just, uh, you know, keep this thing rolling. Then they beat him in the tournament. <laughs> yeah, in the final And four. so, yeah, in the final four. So here we are. Georgetown uh, has beaten the St. John's team. They, St. John's lost four games that entire year. Three of those losses come <laughs> to Georgetown and Big John. And it's all because he flipped the sweater on St. John's. Um, and I just have to say, that is my... That is a great. Pick. That is a great number one pick. It, it summarizes the Big East in a nutshell. In that it was number one versus number two. So mm-hmm. first of all, we have the great basketball. Number yes. two, it's in Madison Square Garden. Number three, it's legendary coaches. And number four, it's extreme pettiness in psychological warfare that mm-hmm. that is is validated. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. It's like all mm-hmm. these mind games work, yes. and then it just like the, the cycle continues because then it makes the coaches want to do more of it, and then that's that, that's the story of the Big East right there, summed up in one game. And it's in one, it's in one flash shot, a snapshot of this game, and it's basically he's flashing with the blazer, the the sweater, and Karnasek is in the background, and he's like looking as if he just saw Bigfoot. You know what I mean? Yeah. He looks terrified, and of course they were in his head the rest of the year. <laughs> um, and, and this is you know Chris Mullen versus Patrick Ewing. I mean this, yep. this is this is great basketball. Mark Jackson. I mean all the all these guys that we know um, from the NBA legends and all that sort of stuff. I mean they're playing in this game as well. Um, there you go. The Luke Karnasek sweater game. That's a great pick. Uh, my number one has a similar feel to it of like just trying to capture everything in, in one essence. one moment, in one essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is the ni- in 1980, the very first year of the Big East, when Georgetown beat Syracuse in Manly Fieldhouse. The final game mm-hmm. played Manly Fieldhouse. Syracuse is number two in the country. They have a 57-game home win streak. Mm-hmm. Georgetown wins. They come, they come back from down 15 in the second half, and John Thompson says Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed. And this is the first year of the of a new conference. When I think of the Big East, the, it, obviously the Big East is is a conference of coaches. This is something that the Bob Knight. Uh, first of all, I want I want to preface this. I read I read Jim Beheim's autobiography in preparation for doing this show. I, I went through Jim Beheim's autobiography again, one of the best college basketball autobiographies out there because Beheim just rips it from the hit. He doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He, he, I, I love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Goes goes in extensively on all the the old Big East years and all that kind of stuff. He he told a story about one time. Um, 
uh, Jim Calhoun got offered the Northwestern job, and he was considering leaving UConn to go to Northwestern. Bob Knight told Calhoun, you don't want to do that. The Big Ten is a, a league of institutions, and the Big East is a league of coaches. That was the quote. And he's so right. And so mm-hmm. when I think of the Big East, I think of the legendary coaches, the larger life coaches. And when I think of the legendary coaches, the first two that come to mind are John Thompson and Jim Beheim. Mm-hmm. And this game in 1980 set the stage for the entire Syracuse-Georgetown rivalry that Syracuse, the very first year of the Big East, Georgetown pulls off the upset. It's not enough that they snap the streak. It's not enough that they beat Syracuse in the very last game ever played Manly Fieldhouse. John Thompson gets in the postgame press conference, twists the knife, says Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed, drops the mic, walks off, and it starts the rivalry. It, starts, it sets the tone for what the Big East becomes for the rest of time. That's number one on my list. That's a great number one. And that's a great quote about the coaches, because if you really look at it, you know, what is Georgetown without Big John? You know I mean? What yeah. is Connecticut without Calhoun? What will Syracuse be without Bayheim? Right. It's just not the same. And like uh, all this stuff was so petty, but it was so personalized. And we knew, like, we knew who these coaches were, it felt like. I mean, they were, they are the stars, right? I mean, the pro game, the players are the stars. And in college, the coaches are the stars. That's mm-hmm. why, you know, when we go to the Champions Classic, get Coach K, Coach Calipari, and right. Bill, all these guys are, like, those are the fat heads that we see. It's not right, the players. Right, 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 right. Um, and that is why, you know, the, I think the Big East kind of set that tone, right? I mean, that, that was who we were there for. We were there to yep. see Big John, you know, with the towel, kind of trying to be intimidating. We were, we were there to see Jim Beheim, you know, lose his mind on an official and, and say some things that were probably too profane for TV at the time. Um, yeah. and, and that's what it was about. It was a great time, and uh, that's a great number one pick. I'm hype on it. All right. You're, you're number two. Go ahead. All right. Here we go. The Battle of the Allens, uh, and uh, this is in the year 1996, the Big East Tournament Championship. This is Ray Allen. Uh, this is Allen Iverson. <laughs> This mm-hmm. is why it's called the Battle of the Allens. Uh, and with 14 seconds left in this game, uh, game-winning shot, Ray Allen hits the shot, 75-74 victory for UConn. Um, for me, these are two players that I think, uh, I don't know, they transition basketball into the modern times in the 20th century. Jesus Shuttlesworth is one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. of all time. Ray Allen has one of them, you know, if not the prettiest shot of all time. He was my favorite jump shooter. You and I are both shooters. Yep. So we, we respect the jump shot. Um, and then right after, you know, UConn has Rip Hamilton. There was just so much about – this was the first UConn that I was like, oh, this is this – Yeah, is this put UConn on the map for me. They yes. went to the 1990 Elite Eight, but this that was – 96 was the time that I kind of was like, oh, wow, I, I enjoy watching this team. I like Ray Allen. Uh, you, you forgot the part where Allen Iverson misses mm. on the other end. Yes. He had a shot at the other end and misses. My question to you is, is this a microcosm of their NBA legacies, Tate, that Allen Iverson, as great as he was – could never win a ring. He couldn't mm-hmm. win a ring, Tate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ray Allen was clutch. Is this, mm-hmm. is, was this the start of that, those narratives of, of Allen Iverson, as great as he is, he can't, he can't win the big one, and Ray Allen can. It does show that, that basketball is such a mental game. I mean, I know you're asking that tongue-in-cheek to me, but yeah. it is such a mental game where, like, you know, Jordan hits that shot in 82. What happens if he doesn't? You know what I mean? Ray yeah. Allen hits this shot in this game when everyone's got the eyeballs to say, who's the next star of, you know, you know basketball? Is it this guy or is it that guy? And then he hits the big shot, and it's like, I'm that guy. You yeah. know, like we were talking about yeah. Michael Beasley last night. He was like, I'm him. I'm, I'm him. Like, you have to have that <laughs> mentality. And I think Allen yeah. obviously had that himself and like he didn't need anything else. But if you know that you've been in that moment and you've hit that shot, it does make things a lot easier when you're back in that moment mm-hmm. where you really do want the ball. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that sort of sets the tone. That's a good pick. Uh, UConn has seven Big East tournament titles. Uh, it, it, they are tied for the most all time with Georgetown. And UConn hasn't even been in the Big East in the last seven years. And they're still mm. number one. Uh, and that was the first one they won, 1996, when Ray Allen hit the shot. So 
uh, great pick for, for, from you on that one. My number two, this is, I, there's going to be a theme. If you're, if you're paying close attention, you're going to learn today about mm. my love of John Thompson. My number two is the time John Thompson stuck his finger in the face of Rayful Edmond, <laughs> who was a, a drug lord in Washington, D.C. in the 1980s. The, the, the 80s and 90s during the, all the drug problems going on in D.C., all that all this stuff. Basically, Rayful Edmond is becoming friendly with Alonzo Mourning, some of the other Georgetown players. John Thompson says, this isn't going to happen on my watch. Calls Rayful Edmond was like a big Georgetown fan. Calls him into his office, says, stop talking to my players. Edmund says... This this is I this is how the story goes. I should preface it with that. Like whether this is true or <laughs> this, not, this I don't know. This is the old Big East. This is yeah, how this all is the, the story. East, yeah, this uh, is- the story goes. He says, "Stop talking to my players." Edmund says, "We're not doing it. They're not doing anything illegal. You don't have anything to worry about." Mm-hmm. John Thompson loses his shit, starts cussing him out. Says, "I don't care if they're doing anything illegal." Points that, that's how the story goes. Is he takes his index finger, points it between his eyes, and said, "You will stay away from my players." Edmund basically puts his tail between his legs, leaves the office, never associates himself with Georgetown players again. John Thompson faces no consequences. He's the only guy apparently that ever like stood up to this guy and 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 faced no consequences. And I love that story so much because it just it just speaks to like how much of a G John Thompson was basically. Mm-hmm. Like the guy just like was was larger than life literally. He was massive, massive man. But um just did not give a shit. Loved his players so much. And and they're just story after story of him just like like this is something that I wish was still a thing in college basketball, I guess. Like these coaches that are are just like, I don't know, just like antagonistic. They're mavericks, yeah. I mean, they, Ma- they, they, yeah, they not, do. Not just antagonistic, but antagonistic for good reasons. It feels like mm-hmm. the guys are antagonistic. They're kind of like selfish. Now. Like I want a guy like that that's just like, I don't know. I, 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 if that happened today, it would be hard for me to be recruited and not be like, I want to play for that guy because that's, that's unbelievable, an unbelievable story. Yeah, there used to be uh, those coaches back in the day. It just felt like, uh, I mean, I guess we saw it with Bob Bob Huggins. The, it was the last time I saw someone kind of go full out where I was like, oh, man, like this guy loves his players. You know yeah. what I mean? And that, that was uh, at the time with Big John and with like Dean Smith and even like Bob Knight. I mean, even though Bob Knight gets kind of, you know, crucified or whatever. But at the time, you felt like he would go to war if he said anything yeah. about his player. You know what I mean? Well, he massa- was- I mean, Bob Knight massages his players' necks in practice. Like, what other coaches <laughs> doing that? Yeah, that's a great guy. <laughs> um, all right. This, I feel like this is a pretty good top four, not going to lie. I mean, I, this I is great. We're, 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 this is fantastic. We're, yeah. going through, we're going through the old Big East. And for the old Big East lovers, if this isn't good enough, send in your old Big East moments and we, we'll yeah. talk about them because yeah. we're happy the Big East is back. Uh, for me, the next one I have, my, my next draft pick is the Patrick Ewing uh, Chris Mullen rivalry, is what mm, I would okay. like to call it. And I, and I have a quote from Chris Mullen. This was in a in the book from Red Men to Red Storm, which uh, I you know I don't know if that book was about the name change or what, but who knows? Uh, we just hated Georgetown. I don't think I spoke a word to Patrick Ewing in four years. Mullen said, and if I did, I couldn't say what they were. And I think, wow. you know, that is uh, those the, those guys were at five star basketball camp together in 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, they were sort of pitted against each other. The, the one you know people in New York, obviously, you know, the, the, they were battling over who was going to be the best. I think Ewing's from Boston, right? Originally, Ewing's from Cambridge. Yeah, Cambridge. Yeah, Mass, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So like that, that's the other thing. It's like a New York Boston argument about who who's going to be the best prospect, and then the, just the rivalry itself between St. John's and Georgetown obviously was very large, and those guys were the central figures. I never of, made that connection that the Boston New York rivalry between the two of them. That's great. And they were they were at camp together, like they were like yeah, literally yeah. being scouted against each other. And then you have to also throw in the fact that this is at a time when you know there's black and white that's going on in college basketball. Some teams, you know, didn't want to have black players on their team. Like I said, the dunk was coming back, and all these sorts of things. More athletes were coming to the game of basketball. The Michael Jordans, the Lynn Biases, these guys are filtering into the game. And Patrick Ewing was kind of 
you know, pegged as this guy who was, was supposed to deliver these titles. Like you and I just talked about, he, sometimes he gets remembered as maybe not as great as he really was. Yeah. And Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing lived in this vacuum in these St. John's Georgetown games, which I think was totally separate of the national conversation. Right. They were so heated. And they definitely had such a hatred for each other. But it feels like with the dream team and everything that happens after, they're, they're like great friends. But during right. the Old Big East, it was. They legitimately hated each other. Yeah, yeah. which is great. No, that's a, that's a that's a great pick. Um, they they both went on to coach at their alma maters too at the same yes. time. Which wow, is, that's yeah, interesting. Oh, uh, interesting enough. And then they have to pretend like they were best friends all along. And, <laughs> and, and well, they were like hugging it out. But like, remember when we used to hate each other and basketball was fun? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The two of them, uh, basically, they were the. I mean, if you go back and like read stories and 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 hear all the people that were alive during the time, they'll tell you that those two guys like made the Big East what it is. It's like they yep. they you know, Dave Gavitt had a great idea and all the coaches were on board. And we said that, you know, we already, we already talked about like how important the, the, the outsized personality of the coaches was and the biggies taken off and the relationship with ESPN and all that. But it, all of that is just the framework. You still need players. If you, if, yep. if you're not winning games and you don't have talent on the floor, ultimately people are going to stop watching. And for Patrick Ewing and Chris Mullen at the same time to, to stay home, basically, I know Patrick Ewing's from Boston with the DC, but he stayed in like yeah. the general area that he's from. Uh, he, he didn't go to UCLA or, or Kentucky or anything. For them to stay home and and just validate the Big East that that early on was amazing, and yeah. and it's ultimately what got the conference underway. Uh, great pick. My number three pick is the 2011 Kimball Walker run. I, I can't believe it, it lasted this long. Uh, averages 24.6 points, 6.2 rebounds, 5.0 assists per game over the course of 11 games. State the greatest postseason run individually in the history of college basketball wins five games and five I'm, I'm talking like Kimbo did it himself because he kind of did like no, he definitely just, did I, I was gonna say basketball is a team sport until Kimbo Walker carried a team to a title and then everyone's yeah, like no yeah, no it might be individual now it, it really might like Jeremy Lamb's like will forever be fighting to to remind people that he was on that team and he was actually good and he played <laughs> it, it was Oriaki and Jeremy Lamb right Those yeah, the yeah. yeah and uh but Kimbo goes absolutely he averaged 38 minutes a game during those 11 games that's the <laughs> other part that's insane it was like he was he was doing absolutely everything uh UConn is unranked to start that season they finished ninth in the Big East in the regular season, but they were also like ninth in the final AP poll, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. They were a ninth seed in the uh, in the Big East tournament. They went five games in five days. Even in the NCAA tournament, it, it they had a lot of close calls. Arizona had a shot to beat him at the buzzer. Jamel Horns three missed. Kentucky mm-hmm. had a shot to beat him in the final four. Uh, DeAndre, I think it was DeAndre Liggins had a had a three kind of at That's the right. buzzer. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, 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 and he missed too. So they they had the right combination of luck. Um, of and DeAndre um, Liggins taking big yeah, shots yeah, in the moment, yeah, so. right. <laughs> rushing threes when you mm-hmm. could have maybe worked the ball a little bit more. I, it, it, it's it's a run that that those of us that were alive and and witnessed it will remember the rest of our lives. The 2011 Kimball Walker run that is that is like the seminal like yeah. It, I mean, we we still talk about it. every time an NCAA tournament rolls around, we talk about our Kimba candidates. Who are the guys mm-hmm. that are going to do that? Mm-hmm. And every single year, none of those guys come anywhere close. And then people get mad at us. They're like, why would you Why would you suggest that, you know, some guy could have – I'm trying to think of an example – could could do that. And we're like, well, I mean, you have to understand, like the, the Kimba the, the Kimba blueprint is, is – the closest guy was Carson Edwards. Mm-hmm. 
he was the closest we've seen. But even that, I mean, they and they he went to the elite eight. eight. Yeah. I mean, that was the whole point. The reason Kimba is cardiac Kimba. I mean, he's the guy yeah. that you know we heard of the cardiac pack in eight, 1983, and they just get hot from the tournament. They make a run and they win the NCAA tournament, and that's exactly what UConn did. But it wasn't just because Sidney Lowe was you know out of his mind. It was because they were playing well as a team. Yeah, and they got a great draw and they made a nice run. Like Kimba Walker quite literally said, "I'm the best point guard basketball." Yes, basketball might be watered down, but. I'm going to hit the big shots and he wanted to hit the big shots. And it was almost watching like watching an NBA point guard play college basketball yeah. in a tournament. And it was like, Oh wow, this, this one guy can really isolate and, and score whenever he needs to. And then, Oh, there's Jamie Lamb over there just in case like he gets double teamed or something <laughs> to hit it, to hit a mid range jumper to keep him honest, you know? And, and somehow that was good enough that year. I mean, that, that's yeah. a lot about Calhoun to me. Um, about him as a coach to be able to, to work it out. Also, the ugliest NCAA, the, the ugliest NCAA title game we've ever seen happened that year, <laughs> and still people fondly look back on that run. You know, like you would think that like the team that won that title, they would put a big asterisk next to it and be like, I mean, come on, you can't win a title shooting whatever percentage. What was it, like twenty something percent from the field? They won the mm-hmm. title against mm-hmm. Butler. Horrible, horrible game. But uh, it doesn't matter. Like the, the the run itself, that eleven game run was so good that it it overshadows the the stinker that they they capped it off with um yeah and it, so that's and, it, and it was funny like it was kind of a rock and a hard place in the title game where it was like there's no way that Butler's going to win the, the national championship you know yeah. there, there was just no way that was going to happen yeah. so it, like they, they were going to win the game like you know <laughs> we, we do, they, yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were going to win the game but they did everything they could not to win the game you know yeah. it, was, it was just unbelievable throughout the entire time you're like all right Even, they got to go in a little run here and it's just like brick, <laughs> brick conspiracy uh 20 years later almost or 10 years later almost i mean uh brad stevens purposely threw that game because he, he told himself i can't we can't win this like i, I mm. can't i can't be a bank shot a gordon hayward shot away from like winning a national title and that team doesn't win and then my team with matt howard as my best player does mm-hmm. win and we're mm-hmm. like what, what seed was butler that year i forget were they an a seed I think it was seven seed. Yeah, they were. Were they an eight? Because they played Pitt in the second round. That was the. That was the. Remember the game like Pitt blew it. This might be on your list. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) This counts as a Big East moment. Pitt fouled Matt Howard ninety four feet from the basket with like less than a second left, and they used the free throws to beat Pitt. I thought that was a one eight game. That was a one eight. I think it was. Yeah. So I think I think Butler was an eight seed that year. Yeah, Brad Steve. I think Brad Stevens is like, we can't win a national title this year. Come on. Well, I think he said to himself, that would be the death of college basketball. Yeah, so I'm like, yeah. He's like, I don't want that. He did us all a favor. Yeah, Thank yeah, you, Brad. Yeah, thanks, Thank coach. you, Brad. Come home to college basketball, though. We yeah. miss you. Come on home. Uh, your number best. four pick. All right, my number four pick, uh, 1997, uh, the Providence Friars, led by Pete Gillen, a guy by the name of God Sham God that a lot of people know, and uh, Derek Brown, who really was the hero of this game, uh, 12 for 16 from the field, 33 points. They beat the Duke Blue Devils, and mm. um, this is one of those times in my life where I, I Pete Gillen ended up going to Virginia. I love Pete Gillen. He's a great New York coach, and he's quite the character, and he used to have some great one-liners about going to Cameron Indoor that I grew up loving. And uh, God Sham God is my favorite name ever mm. um, in, in basketball, or maybe just literally ever. And, you know, I remember Pete Gillen had a great, great quote there where he was like, if you can't win with God, you're not really a good coach. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, as someone who grew up thinking that Coach K was the devil himself, to have <laughs> God beat the devil as a five-year-old, that confirmed yeah. a lot of things for me as a five-year-old when it comes to good and evil. What so round was I this? Wonder, 
this was in the Sweet 16. The 97 Sweet 16? Yeah. From Providence beat Duke. Yeah. yeah. That's a good pick. I don't, I don't remember anything about it. But no, just, no, no, no. The, it, it was symmetry of God versus devil. It, nice. it was like God it. versus the devil for me. Uh, and God won. It was the first time that like I had seen like good happen. You know, it was like, oh, that makes <laughs> God would beat the devil. Uh, and Derek Brown really was the, the hero of the game. He had like 35 points, 33 points. Wow. In the game. Wow. Um, but God sham God. I just, that's all I remember. So for me, that was a big East great moment. All right. Very, very good. Pick. A personalized I, pick. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a personalized pick. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> my number four pick is the 1985 title game, the biggest upset in, in NCAA tournament title game history. Um, I don't know if that's actually true by Vegas standards, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's true in the sense that Villanova had to play the perfect game to beat Georgetown. They did. They shot 78.6% from the field date against mm. the defending national champion Georgetown Hoyas, the number one, to Patrick Ewing senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was lining up for Georgetown to win this, and the eighth-seeded Villanova Wildcats win their first national championship in 1985. Big East versus Big East, as we talked about earlier, St. John's also in the Final Four that year. Georgetown beat St. John's in the Final Four to even get there. Uh, so 1985 was kind of a, a big year for the Big East in that regard, and that was St. John's, Georgetown, both were in there. They were both two of the best teams in the country, and then on top of that, uh, the team, the third Big East team that was in the Final Four ends up winning the whole damn thing. Mm-hmm. So I think you come out of the 1985 season as the Big East and everyone's got their chest puffed out and they're like, we are the best conference in college basketball. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And that was the first year that the NBA introduced the lottery. That was, It was just a, a seminal year in basketball, too. And then if 64 you're, if, teams in the tournament for the first time in 85? 64 yeah. teams in the first – yeah, exactly. And then – so that is sort of like the blueprint of what we see today. And the start of it was all Big East. It was all old Big East. So when people think yeah. about that in their mind, they think of those guys being in those moments. And it's funny, on, on my list, all I had was 1985 Final Four. Um, so I think that yeah. covers that. I think that, I think was, that covers uh, that. I don't think you can take that anymore. Yeah, no, I think that's – I feel good about that. I'm glad we got that one covered. For me – uh, we're going to keep this thing rolling. Um, this is, man, this is going to be, uh, it, it might, this might be personal too. Uh, UConn okay. 1999. No, um, I had that. On my, no, that's, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be personal where you're going with this, but I had that coming up as one of my, on my big boards. So, yeah, okay, great. great I'm, I'm glad I don't I'm feel not, bad about it. Yeah. The yeah. God sham God pick was personal. This one is uh, for the old big East and it's because this was UConn's first national title game, right? They, they go to the national championship. They're playing a Duke team that everyone, Billy Packer included throughout the entire broadcast, wanted to remind everyone was going to win the national championship. They had Elton Brand. They had Shane Battier. They had William Avery. They had Trajan Langdon his senior year. I mean, the, Trajan Langdon in that game was 5 for 10 from 3, was shooting out of his mind. I think he had 25 points in that game. But I'm going to get to the better part of that for the old Big East here in a second. But regardless – they come into this game that they are the underdogs. Everyone's looking at them as, uh, you know, basically wash them out of the way. Coach K is going to get another title. Coach mm-hmm. K had had, you know, this God sham God period in 1997 um, where he was saying, you know, that he didn't know if he was ever going to get back to a national championship game mm-hmm. after the back issues in 95 and then he loses <laughs> to God. And now it's 1999. He's like, I don't know if I'll ever get back. Yep. Uh, he called Trajan Langdon the bridge. Um, that's what was nicknamed the bridge and yeah, that's the bridge right over there. He's, he's bringing the old to the new. Um, anyways, th- this is all happening at the time with Duke basketball. UConn, on the other hand, Elamine, uh, Elamine, who's, uh, one of my favorite point guards that I like had forgotten about until I watched this game. I watched the final, like five minutes of this game and he hits a nice little floater down there. And then, uh, they get the lead and Trajan Langdon comes down 
and it's Ricky Moore. And I forgot about this play, but in the mm-hmm. moment, it was one of my favorite plays in basketball history because defense wins championships, right? That's what you yep. told as a little kid. That's what you believe in. So Titus, at the end of this one, right? So it's, it's, it's Trajan Langdon's moment. The, the bridge is Coach K labeled him, and he's going down for the final play, 77-74. Uh, Elamin made the free throws. The crowd is riled up. Trajan Langdon, he, he was five for 10 from three in this game already. Everyone's expecting him to take a three. Instead, he trips. Um, a, a little poetic uh, when you think about the Grayson Allen that would come later in life. Um, he, he trips. He trips and uh, falls down. Elamin goes to the camera and he goes, we shocked the world, which is uh, that's my favorite uh, moniker to say out to the world and favorite phrase. He says, we shocked the world. Crowd's going crazy. Calhoun is losing his mind. And it's one of those moments where this is how you know your coach is kind of an asshole and not a player's coach. The, the only people that are hugging him are the other coaches. You know what I mean? The other players are like, they're all together, like away doing their thing. Uh, but he's like having this great moment. Coach K, uh, to his credit, um, has this really sweet moment with William Avery where he is, uh, his eyes are wide open and he's patting him on the back. But he, uh, you know, William Avery is crying and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, Jim Nance gives the, the, the best quote because this is Calhoun's first national championship, first UConn national championship appearance. He goes, folks, you got to believe because just when people say you can't, you can. And UConn has won its national championship, its first national championship on its first attempt. This was Nance? This was Nance. Oh, no. He said, folks, you got to believe because just when people say you can't, you can and UConn. Oh, my God. It was was like of a bygone era of sports journalism. And he definitely waited it out to to have that, you know, moment in time. And then they cut away and it's Ray Allen hugging Jim Calhoun in the middle of center court. And it's just like, man, this is good TV. We need to do a, a, a power rankings of the Jim Nance puns. At, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the final. What was the one? Yeah. Was it 05 when he said something like, Carolina's the dean of the ball? Yeah, like, so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to make there's a, dean, a new there's dean, a, there's dean, a new dean There's a new dean in college basketball. And yeah, like, yeah, Dean yeah. Smith's not the coach, Jim. So what are we doing here? I don't understand. Oh, yeah, man, that's a... Uh, that's that's fantastic. I love I love the shock the world. So anytime anytime mm. a player, really anybody, uses the phrase "shock the world" as it pertains to sports, it's 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 a, a very um, I don't know. It's hilarious to me. Like the idea that like people in Turkey and Argentina and Kenya and <laughs> we're watching this yes. 1999 yes. title game yes. and they're yes. just shocked. They're just, like they're two yeah. buddies in Kenya that called mm-hmm. each other. They're like, "You seeing mm-hmm. this?" <laughs> yeah, it's like I cannot believe what a what You're a great on your play. TV. This is unbelievable. You see Ricky Morris' feet there, <laughs> sliding his feet like a real legend. The European Union is having meetings interrupted. They're like, "We we gotta <laughs> we gotta stop talking about this. We gotta we gotta break down the 99 title game first. This is unbelievable. What's happening over in America?" Yeah, so that Duke team in 99 enters the game 37 and one their only loss mm-hmm. on the year they lose to Kenyon martin and cincinnati in the great alaskan shootout which i think they were playing only because trajan langdon's alaskan right mm-hmm. i think they went up exactly. there just for yeah it was a home game yeah for trajan, for trajan yep. senior year so coach k coach k is uh furious because he goes and plays that one game they lose puts Kenyon martin on the map though yeah and then he goes to the title game and trajan langdon tries to make it all about yeah. himself yeah. He tries to make the game winning plays he's as like a i can't believe i went to alaska for you asshole like do you blew, you're gonna blow the title for me maybe um, that's when coach k was like i'm going one and done yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, that Duke team, they if they beat UConn, they were 10-point favorites going into the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, UConn, I think that might – I you know, I just said 85 was the biggest – I think that was a bigger underdog. I think the point spread by Vegas – I think that was the biggest upset in title game history, that the 10-point underdog uh, won. I, I'll have to check my numbers on that. But I, mm-hmm. I remember – if not the biggest, it was one of the biggest. But if Duke wins that game, we're talking about the 99 Duke team as one of the greatest teams of all time. They're, they would be 38-1 and one with their mm-hmm. one loss being at the buzzer. 
They swept the entire ACC. They had six NBA players plus Chris Carrollwell, who was the 2000 ACC Player of the Year. So the following yep. year, he's ACC Player of the Year. That team was absolutely stacked. UConn was was decent. Their own. I mean, obviously, they won the national title. They were ranked number one throughout a lot of the season. Uh, but I don't think anybody expected UConn winning, especially since UConn has never won a national title before. And as you said, Duke was this was this was like right in the uh, Trajan Langdon's the bridge. We have the new era of Duke. This is like looking back. One of the heydays of Duke basketball was uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and UConn uh, shocked the world. <laughs> and, and this is also the game that Michael Jordan decided, you know what, I'm going to draft that guy, Richard Hamilton, and he's going to play on my team, uh, on the Wizards. So that, that was, a, that that's was a, a good time. That's a great pick for your number five. Uh, my number five is, uh, again, another legend. Got I'm, I'm doing a lot of legends. Are, is this story true? Is it not true? We don't know. But it's certainly a legend allegedly true it's an alleged story <laughs> yes um, the best that people have accepted as fact and i'm, I'm mm-hmm. one of those people uh mm-hmm. the story goes that 1986 at the spring biggies meeting lou carnesecca and john calipari or lou carnesecca and paul evans the head coach of Pitt, got into a fight because lou carnesecca accused john calipari assistant coach of Pitt, of mm-hmm. recruiting negative recruiting against st john's and carnesecca by saying by telling recruits that carnesecca had cancer and he was going to die soon and that's what he was telling recruits. That's old biggies. That's old biggies. That's, that's why it's on biggies. my list. That is yes. that is quintessential old Woo. biggies that uh, coaches are just fighting. Coaches are yeah. – are, That's some dirty crouton right there, but, you know, <laughs> it's part of the game. Meanwhile, by the way, we should mention Luke Cardaseca still alive. 95 yeah, years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, no, still, still great. Ticket. Still going strong. Yeah, uh, yeah, This was in 86. That this Probably was, wearing uh, that sweater that he was wearing in 1985. For what it's so. worth, Cal denies it. Paul Evans denies it. Of course you deny it. Can you imagine, like, saying, yeah, I said that? No, for, no, you're not. But uh, whether it's true or not, doesn't matter. That's the joy of the old Big East. It doesn't have to be true. It has to sound plausible <laughs> enough to get us to believe it. That is number mm-hmm. five on my list. The time that John Calipari told recruits that Luke Karnasek had cancer and he's going to die based on nothing in particular other than just his desire to land a recruit. <laughs> I think that that is honestly the, the the perfect fitting, you know, as far as like what is when we say like the the allure of the old Big East outside of the basketball, like what are you looking for? You're looking for that. You know yeah. what I mean? You're looking for the the the, the soap opera. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. It's like a bunch of like older men in their 40s, 50s and 60s that are all kind of petty. And this is the uh, dirty you know, recruiting that I want bad. Like forget it. Yes. Forget the drop in the bag nonsense. Let's get back to this. Let's get back to personal, mm-hmm. vindictive, uh, mm-hmm. uh, just just yeah. Very, very baseless allegation. Like this is this is what we want. We want this back in college basketball. Rick Stansberry is like, I'm right over here, Mark. That is, <laughs> I, I, you see me, Mark Godfrey as well. Um, and uh, that's where we are. So, is that our top ten? The, the, together, the, those are our top ten. Those are our those are our top ten. You want to keep going, or do you want to stop? I thought I thought we we're gonna do ten. All right, let's keep going. Have, yeah, I yeah, have yeah. a million okay. other ones I want to pick. All right, perfect. Yeah. All right, no, I say gonna... here's, here's I'll, I'll say this. We're running a little long. Obviously, it's gonna be a long yes. show. Uh, but I think the best way to honor the old Big East is to have like a little too much, a little too much baggage. Like, cause that was, mm-hmm. that was the legacy of the Big East. By 2013, they have like 36 teams in there. F- five or six of them are, are dog shit and they're just weighing the conference down. That's uh that's what we're doing here. We're, we gotta, we gotta add some, uh, some nonsense. We gotta add Miami to the list here. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> Let's sprinkle Miami in here. <laughs> that would be, yeah, that would be great. Let's talk about those times. The Virginia Tech, Virginia Miami, Tech, Miami year. That's what we're doing here. So let's do some yeah. more picks. Why not? Yeah. The, the old Big East, for the people that love the old Big East would really love that. They're like, what, when did that happen? Uh, all right, let's keep it going. Rick Patino calls out Digger Phelps. Um, go away from Digger. 
and you've got a great chance of winning because he's never right. Uh, this is Rick Pitino. Like we said, he, he is, you know, cementing himself as a, as a figure in the game. He's like, I am one of these coaches. I am, I've sit at the big boy table. I'm not afraid of these guys. In fact, I'll say anything to get any of these recruits. I'm not afraid to, to beat you by shooting threes that you call gimmicky and cheap. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm going to win at whatever cost. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say that at whatever cost. And I'm like, <laughs> All right, Rick, we get it. Yeah, man, chill. Um, but this was Rick Pitino trying to subtly – like he's trying to be like a mob boss. You know, it's like he's saying a lot but, but keeping it light. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, you, you stay away from Digger. you got a great chance of winning. He's never right. Mm-hmm. He's upset about Digger uh, and his picks. He never picks his team. Obviously, this is, this is the, you know, sort of the underbelly of, of the conversation when he's asked this. But the, the whole point is that Rick Pitino at this point is pointing out to the world that he is that guy. I'm him. I'm, I'm him. Rick Pitino. It's me. And I will call out a, 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 one of your favorite coaches because, again, he's never right. And I'm right. <laughs> I'm, and I'm a winner. I love it. That's, a, that's great. This is, again, it, it, it sums up what we love about the Big East. Is, is Just keeps going. The, the, Just keeps going. <laughs> uh, my number six pick, the Syracuse 2006 Big East title run, Jerry McNamara. Um, looking mm. back on it, as it turns out, Jerry McNamara was not as dominant as I remembered him in the sense that he wasn't putting up like 35 points a game, all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. The reason we remember it is because he was clutch. He, it, uh, the first game of the tournament, they beat Cincinnati. McNamara hits like a floater, one-handed floater from the three-point line at the buzzer, uh, basically. There's maybe a second left. They beat Cincinnati. Jim Beheim goes in the post-game press conference just goes ham on on the student newspaper at Syracuse, which is another like great thing about the Big East is like mm. Bayheim's pettiness that like I feel like the student newspaper has no weight whatsoever. It shouldn't like you should not pay mm-hmm. you should pay attention to whatever the 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 city of Syracuse paper is called. Mm-hmm. But like the Daily Orange, who gives a shit about that, Jim? Like it's 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 a bunch of kids like a bunch of slapdick kids trying uh, to. Uh, our producer Louise is like I worked on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she should know more than anyone. That like you know, it's the who cares what a bunch of slapdick nineteen twenty year olds are saying about your <laughs> yeah. team. The journalism students at Syracuse are so upset right now. They're like, uh, new podcast. I'm trying to I'm trying to get them to write hateful things about me. Where's right? Joey Lane's podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get them to to do a hit piece on me. To get, get, no, no, no that's good. This is what we. Yeah, no, this is this is a great. But Bayheim is just stewing about this that they called they, the the Daily Orange called Jerry McNamara overrated. So after McNamara mm-hmm. hits the buzzer beater against Cincinnati, he goes in. He says our student newspaper called him overrated. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you one thing right now. We wouldn't have won ten fucking games without Jerry McNamara. He drops the mm-hmm. hard f. Um, mm. Don't be mad at me, Dad. That was I'm just quoting Jim Beheim. Mm-hmm. That uh, was Jim Beheim. That was not Mark Titus. Drops the hard F. Said it goes goes on a rant. Defends his guy in his senior year. McNamara was watching, obviously. Mm-hmm. Channels that goes absolutely nuts the rest of the way with with clutch play after clutch play. They beat UConn in the OT the next game. Number one UConn. Um, McNamara once again hits a three at the buzzer of regulation. Base basically the when I say buzzer, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. To send it to OT, they beat UConn. They turn around. All the graphics are showing that no team in Big East tournament history has ever won an overtime game and then won the next night as well. Syracuse says, we're going to go ahead and be the first. They beat Georgetown. They beat Pitt in the final. Then they, they win four games in four days. Mm-hmm. The first three of those games were decided by one possession, and then the, the final one against Pitt, they win by four. One of the most historic Big would, would be the number one Big East tournament run. If Without Kimba, Kimba. Yeah. yeah. But that kind of set the timbre. Like we saw what Jerry McNamara did, and it and it gave us the context for then five years later when Kimba did it, we were like, oh my God, what Kimba's doing. We thought we would never see it again when Jerry McNamara and Syracuse did it. And then Kimba did it five years later, and that made it like so much more special when Kimba did it. 
And to me, it was also Jerry McNamara was the first Big East guard where he had these two separate lives in his career, where he had the 03 title game yeah. with Carmelo, where he wins a championship and everyone's like, oh, yeah, Jerry McNamara, the, the, the white kid that hits threes with Carmelo. That's yeah. really cool. And then he had his own separate run. And I remember Shabazz Napier sort of doing the same thing with UConn, where he was like there in 2011. He was a sidekick kind of. And then 2014, he's like, yeah, I'll just go ahead and win a championship. And myself. then Mer- McNamara grew out his chin strap and came back as Eric Devendorf. That was amazing, too. That was his third <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? And then back as Andy Rouse. Yeah. He just kept yeah, coming just- back. <laughs> now he's there as Buddy Beheim. Uh, every, everyone's like, "This is all right." Uh, number seven for you. Oh man, this is uh, this is when it gets fun because you just dropped the hard F. I'm going to drop one as well. This is a different Jim. This is Jim Calhoun, and Jim Calhoun uh, was asked a question about Ryan Gomes uh, and why mm-hmm. he did not bring him uh, <laughs> to, to UConn, and uh, he goes, "I fucked up. You know, I didn't tell Ryan Gomes. Did that make you happy? You yeah. happy to hear that?" They're not bad. He talks about a Mecca Okafor and the they're other guys. They're not bad. They're not bad players. They're not bad. And uh, this is – That's the only time I can do the Calhoun accent, by the way, is when I say they're not bad. Not a dying bag. Yeah, but I can't do it otherwise. If we're saying it's it's kind of like Schwarzenegger where it has to be like, get to the chopper. It, like, it has to be a catchphrase. Who is your like, daddy and what does he do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. All I can think about was kindergarten cop. Uh, oh, God. I'm a cop, you oh, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, all right, here we go. We're going to go to it. Jim Calhoun does this. Uh, this is uh, – what year is this? This was, this was 2004. This is uh, – yes. he Providence beats UConn. This is UCon- mm-hmm. UConn's like ranked sixth in the country or something. Providence mm-hmm. beats UConn. It's their second loss in three days. Ryan Gomes is from Connecticut. Jim Calhoun uh, was recruiting Ryan Gomes, ultimately kind of cools off of Ryan Gomes. The reporter, Ryan Gomes, kills UConn, beats him. Uh, so mm-hmm. the reporter's like, Jim, how does it feel to like have a guy that was in your backyard and you let slip away, kick your mm-hmm. ass today? And Jim Calhoun goes, absolutely. It, it was th- this, this epitomizes the Big East, too, because like like the pettiness of all the coaches and taking everything personally, because I actually felt like it wasn't a bad question. If you go back and watch the press conference, like it's kind of a valid question. Like the guy wasn't trying to be a dick about it. He was just like, like Ryan Gomes is pretty good. Is there like anything – you know, maybe I don't know the backstory. I don't know if this reporter's like badgered Calhoun about it a million times before that. But if in the vacuum, like asking him about Ryan, the Connecticut kid killed you today, that's a decent question. Like, like, would you like to speak on that? And Calhoun just goes, he just goes off. It just starts dropping mm-hmm. f bombs. Says they're not bad. Uh, defends that he took Emeka Okafor and Karan Butler instead. And the best part about this take to put a big bow on it is that. This was the season that UConn goes on to win a national championship. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. They beat Georgia Tech and Luke Century and B.J. Elder and, and Musa, uh, uh, Ishmael Muhammad and all those guys. And, uh, yeah, they win the title. And and the, the rest is history. Yeah. Jim Calhoun was happy. Yeah, so the, it, it makes the rant that much better that, like, he's, he's having his – Yeah, he's his, losing his mind. He's losing his mind. And, and then he goes on to win the national championship and, and just throws up double middle fingers to the reporter that question is recruiting tactics. Jim Calhoun and Jim Beheim are very much the same type of person where they, they're going to say what's on their mind or what's on their chest or whatever you want to say and then they're gonna you know have this kind of like walk back emotion over they're like i'm sorry Phil. i'm just a little heated i'm just a little heated <laughs> i'm sorry i let that slip you know and it's you're like okay yeah yeah you, you gotta you, yeah they they they, they walk it off. back they make it endearing it's like that's just <laughs> yeah. who i am you know like sorry yeah, yeah. i'm an asshole but sorry i'm sorry yeah. i'm a competitor yeah, sorry, I'm a competitor. Competitor. yeah. <laughs> i just want to win so badly you know and we all love it. We're like, yeah, we get it, coach. We're sorry that we uh, we, yeah, we upset you. That's my bad. That was um, a bad question. While we're on the Syracuse-UConn train here, I'm going to make my number – what are we on, seven? My number seven pick. Uh, my seventh draft pick is the six-overtime game between Syracuse and UConn. 
a game that is just absolutely absurd looking back on it. Mm -hmm. It was absurd in the moment. It was one of those games that like we were talking about baseball, uh, how baseball's trying to make their game shorter, their extra inning games. And then I, I made the point that like once a game gets to a certain point, you kind of are just like, screw it. Let's just get crazy. Let's see this thing go forever. That was this game. I remember what it was like going into four overtimes. I was like, all right, I want to see 12 overtimes. Like mm -hmm. I want to see, I want to see just an absurd amount of overtimes. Um, when, you know, at, when the second overtime, when it, when we were going into the third overtime, I was like, oh my God, just end this game. And then by the time the fourth ended, I was like, all right, I hope this goes forever. Uh, eight players fouled out, Tate. Mm -hmm. Five more players had four fouls when this thing was all said and done. 13 players had four more fouls in this game. <laughs> there were 102 points scored after regulation ended. Um, and then the other, the other third thing I wrote down that's absurd when you look back at the box score, Andy Routens came off the bench for Syracuse and played 50 minutes. That has mm. to be a record. That is, yeah, that is definitely a record. He played 50 minutes off the bench for Syracuse. So, uh, again, one of those games where if you were watching it, you will always remember your feelings watching it, like just kind of what that experience was like at watching a 6 -0. It almost didn't even matter who won. Like, honestly, there are days where I don't remember who won. You could catch me off guard and be mm -hmm. like, hey, who won the six-overtime game? I'm like, I've – I don't. I fell asleep for. Oh, you know, it's fifty minutes. Out, so like yeah. Andy Rounds like, played fifty like, minutes. But it doesn't. It doesn't matter who won the game. That's 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 the other thing we should say is like it was. It was. You know who won the game? The six overtime game. The Big East. The fans. Yeah, the, fans. <laughs> the Big East. The, East the old Big East. The, old Big East yeah, the people. Won, so. Whoever. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say the Rounds family because like yeah. Leo Rounds was at the start of the old Big East, and then you got Andy Rounds in the middle of this. I mean, this is uh, a. Yeah. This is all poetic how it's working out. Uh, all right, next up for me. Man, I, I'm like, are you running out? Of, going, are you running out of moments? You want me to throw you some? No, I'm more. I'm not even running out of moments. I'm running out of like, do I want to pick certain moments mm. because I don't even want? Well, we'll just say it. I mean, why not? Uh, Walter the Truth Barry stopping Pearl Washington in 19, 1986 Big East title game mm -hmm. uh, in the tournament title game. Uh, I hear a lot about Pearl Washington, or I've heard a lot about Pearl Washington, thanks to you know Harry, our friend from Against All Odds. He's a big Syracuse basketball fan, loves Pearl. Yeah. Um, I always tell him that uh, Pearl to me is Earl the Pearl. Um, but you know, that, that's that. all. On yeah. A, that, yeah, that's all on a side. Uh, but Pearl Washington is a great player. Uh, this is, you know, one of those times where I think about the old Big East. I was trying to think about nicknames. You know, like th this is just when you hear like the truth versus Pearl. And I think the headline was like the truth blocks Pearl to win 1986, 1986 Big East title game. I mean, like that is something that sounds like a Marvel comic book character uh, mm -hmm. situation where you want to tune in and watch. Um, and yeah, 1986. I, I feel like it doesn't get enough credit. Uh, we keep talking about 1985 and all these seminal moments, but this was just a, a Big East championship game between two guys with great nicknames. And uh, most times you would think Pearl comes out on top of the truth does today. Yeah, Pearl was such a big deal to Syracuse because he was their Ewing and Mullen. That mm -hmm. that their their first like he was big, their guy, yeah, their yeah, guy yeah. that like holy shit we landed this guy. He's come as a freshman. He hits the half court shot to beat Boston mm -hmm. College. There's just pandemonium. Everyone's losing their minds over over Pearl. Uh, so he's 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 a legend. He's rightfully a legend. It's just like I don't I don't think Pearl ever like transcended and got to that yep. Ewing and Bolin level. But uh, Syracuse fans, he did to Syracuse. Yeah, fans. he did to Syracuse fans. And that's all <laughs> they that matters. Love him. Uh, yep. That's a great pick. Um, all right, my number. What are we on? Eight, nine, eight. My number eight uh, is Patrick Ewing starting the 1982 title game with five goal tens. Uh, as I said, I want to I want to put as much John Thompson on this list as I possibly can. He John Thompson was my first two picks. It's time to revisit, come full circle, bring bring it back to John Thompson. Tells Patrick Ewing, a freshman Patrick Ewing, uh, who who was a big coup for him. You kind of already talked about his recruiting. Like he, he's coming out of Boston. Uh, yeah. He he does not go to Boston College. Legend has it, story has it. Sorry, Tate, plug your ears. But he went on a visit to North Carolina. There's a Klan rally happening nearby. 
was obviously deterred by that, did not want to go there. He goes to Georgetown. Obviously, John Thompson is is dealing with his own racial issues as being this big, imposing yes. black coach in college basketball in the 80s. Um, the two are just, they just have like a symbiotic relationship. It's like, that's, that's probably, I mean, that's obviously why he ended up there. He's like, that, that's a coach. When John Thompson's like, I know what you're going through. Patrick, yeah, he's like, like, I am a pariah. Yeah. You are a pariah. Let's, let's beat them together. So the, the whole point was like, Patrick Ewing had this aura around him where like, uh, people were almost scared of him and whether it was racism or whether it was like, he's just so imposing on the basketball court whatever, however we arrived there, by the 1982 title game, he had this larger-than-life persona. And John Thompson was like, we're going to tap into that. We're going to start mm-hmm. the game, and every single shot that gets put up, Golton, I don't care where it is, mm-hmm. just wipe it away. I, don't, I do not want to see them see the ball go through the basket. He basically gives North Carolina 10 points. They end up losing. Maybe not the greatest strategy, but I, I love where, where Thompson's head was at with this. And uh, it, it, it certainly set the tone that Patrick Ewing – it set the tone for the rest of his career. I think, like, people, people that think back on that game, the way they talk about it, they were like, yeah, that was – I mean, it kind of worked, even though in the end it didn't. But it did set the tone for that game that Patrick Ewing is going to be a force. Yeah, it's one of those – in that game, I mean, I've watched that 82 title game plenty of times on VHS, and as you start that game, it, it, the North Carolina team, they're looking over at the bench. Like, Jimmy Black's looking over at Dean Smith, and he's like, uh, is this guy just going to give us points all night? Like, I mean, is this like a thing? And Dean Smith's like, just, just keep, keep shooting. shooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I don't know what's going on. We're just going to play our game, fellas. Doug. <laughs> yeah, have fun out there. Um, but, yeah, Big John is intimidation. That's how he – I mean, we talked about the sweater. That was the first pick. Yeah. I mean, this is the same type of thing. He's like, I want to set the tone. I want to scare these guys. I want them to remember that last year in the title game they choked. Yep. Um, especially you, James Worthy. You're not big game James yet. Um, and I don't want you to see the ball go in the basket. And I want you to be intimidated by this young freshman who's better than you. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because, like, little did he know that there was another freshman on North Carolina that was already, quote, unquote, could be better than James Worthy. But he, in his mind, it, this is a big man's game. This big man is better than you. Um, let's set the Butterfly tone. effect. Patrick Ewing only goaltends the first three shots. Georgetown wins that game. Uh, and then Ewing gets the better of Jordan throughout their NBA careers as well. I mean, and- I mean, butter, butterfly effect. Patrick Ewing wins three titles in four years. He is on the same level as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and we're talking yeah, about he's the yeah. best big man in college basketball history. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, and, like, he, they should have beat Villanova. They were better than Villanova that year. I mean, I'm happy that Massimino and Villanova won. But Georgetown was a better team. Patrick Ewing really back-to-back. should have won three titles. Yeah, he should have yeah, <laughs> been three out of four. And look, let's just be honest. 1983, uh, NC State lucked into a title. I mean, he could have been four for four. Is, everything Ewing, goes- <laughs> is he the most like disrespected? The more yes, I think about it, is he the most absolutely. disrespected superstar? And it's Michael Jordan's history? fault. Michael Michael Jordan yeah. did this to him. He wanted him because Michael Jordan was jealous because in 1980, the same year that he was the same age as Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing, guess who they were talking about? Patrick Ewing and Chris <laughs> Mullen, not Michael Jordan. I'm I'm uh I'm, I'm coming to a lot of conclusions here. I think I think I have a, a newfound appreciation for Patrick Ewing. Uh, yeah, as, I love the old working through all this. Uh, yeah, all right, we got we each got two picks left. Let's wrap this thing up. Use your picks wisely, Tate. My ninth pick, Scotty Reynolds, coast to coast, uh, mm. in 2009. And I think uh, you know this is my Villanova pick. I I was. You know, unfortunately, Villanova was going to play a North Carolina team in 2009 that was just loaded with talent, so they're going to lose. But mm-hmm. the, that play and Scotty – like Chris Duhon did that in 2004, uh, Duke against North Carolina, and it drove my – it still drives me and haunts me to this day. But Scotty Riddles doing that um, was just a, such a big tournament moment. And it was also, you know, for, for Villanova and Jay Wright, you know, at the time, Jay Wright is such a guy that 
I don't know. I feel like we were all pulling for him. You know, he yeah. was kind of like we wanted to get over the hump. And 05, North Carolina beat Villanova when they had Kyle Lowry. And and, and they honestly, Randy Foy, they should have won that game mm-hmm. against North Carolina. So they escaped that one. Um, it, but for the for him to get in the Final Four, Villanova had that moment for Scotty Reynolds to make, uh, you know, the presence of mind to make that play. Uh, it was a great moment in tournament history. And I, I somehow feel like it gets forgotten. It really does, yeah. I think, um, so I'll say that I one. think it's because 09, my memory of 09 was that North Carolina was going to kill everybody. So, like, I really wasn't that excited. I mean, I was mm-hmm. I was at Ohio State. We were playing. We lost to Siena in a group – objectively one of the great NCAA tournament games of all time double overtime we lost to Siena uh in Dayton but even when we lost I was like you know I mean North Carolina is killing everybody in this tournament so like who really cares it doesn't yeah. it doesn't actually we're beating people so bad that Ty Lawson was yeah. thinking about not playing he yeah. was like can I take a couple games yeah. off and come back to the Sweet 16 everyone's like no Ty you're Wait. that's that's how i remember oh not like i so then like after we lost and i was like following the 09 tournament as it was progressing it was still just sort of forgettable in that regard that was just kind of like this tournament doesn't start until north carolina loses and as it turns out they never lost so maybe that's why it is but yeah great pick uh also but yeah big east versus big east pit versus villanova 09 yep. elite eight pit never really did get over that hump huh ouch <sighs> well yeah. here's it I'll 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 make you happy, Pitt fans. I'll make my next pick. Uh, mm. My number nine pick. Send it in, Jerome. How about that? Mm. Well, the there you go. That's great. Pitt fans are are licking their wounds here. Pitt versus Providence, nineteen eighty eight. We've all seen the clip a million times. We've heard the call. It it kind of launched Bill Raftery's broadcasting career. Not that he needed it. Like he would have been a legend, uh, regardless. But it certainly kind of kind of helped him. Uh, Jerome Lane gets the pass from Sean Miller. People forget Sean Miller was the one who threw Jerome Lane the pass. Absolutely, I forget who he dunked on, but he absolutely shit all over the guy. Shatters the backboard. Uh, we get the famous call, send it in Jerome. They they mm-hmm. delay the game. The pit fans, it's just absolute pandemonium. Every time I watch it, I I just I, I wish I could go back in time and and watch basketball when there was a slight possibility that the glass could get shattered. Technology's gotten too good. That was so awesome to to watch basketball in that era. I mean, I wasn't I was one year old in nineteen eighty eight. I'm not talking about that. More so like the Shaq era when he was playing in the mm-hmm. league and he'd tear down goals and all that kind of shit. He he just tore down a goal on TNT the other yeah. night or, or whatever. Yeah. TBS he and Rob Gronkowski like ripped down a goal and I was like, Oh, that's it was that's, so that's good. What we missed. Yeah, like, yeah, like I totally felt was. like I felt like when Shaq was playing, you were turning on the game like in the back of your mind, you're like, It could tonight could be the yeah, night. Break it. Yeah, you're it. like break it, Shaq. Come on, Shaq. You can Please do it. break uh, it, Shaq. <laughs> but yeah, that uh that that's my number nine pick. Send it in Jerome. Uh so, some fun facts about Jerome Lane. People might not be aware of this. Went to the same high school as LeBron from Akron, Ohio, St. Vincent St. Mary alum. Also, in 1988, he led the country in rebounding with 13 and a half rebounds per game. Wow. He was only 6'6. He was like the first guy to be 6'6 or shorter and lead the country in rebounding in like 30 something years. Um, so, yeah, some, a couple of fun facts about Drum Lane. Oh, man, that's amazing. I was going to say, like, uh, Barkley's in that era too. So he's like battling against Barkley. It's like guys under 6'6 mm-hmm. that are like trying to be uh, the rebounding guys. Well, I guess Robin did play college basketball. So that that changes that. All right, let's keep going. My final pick, uh, my number 10. This is one that's, uh, I guess, personal again. But I do remember watching this game. It's in 2008. And it features a guy that you and I have had a couple dinners with. And uh, he's a big. Uh, he's, he went to the school that Patrick Ewing went to. In fact, he got compared to Patrick Ewing quite a few times. That's Roy Hibbert. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. And against UConn in 2008, this is where uh, the rule – so the race of 69 is obviously, you know, first 69 is going to win the game. Um, but when both teams get to 69, there, there's a rule of 69 that says whoever's first off is going to win the game. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, UConn was playing Georgetown, regular season game. They were tied at 69. Mm-hmm. Roy Hibbert received a pass. He stepped behind the three-point line. 
and he hit that three, Mark Titus. Wait, and therefore, what? the rule of 69 was formed, mm. uh, and Roy Hibbert did it there, 72 to 69, hits the three. That year, they were supposed to go and win a national championship. They were a number one seed. They, in fact, lose to, uh, you know, Steph Curry and Davidson in Raleigh, North Carolina. They were two seeds. Uh, or two seeds, yeah, sorry, yeah, no eight. Yeah, no eight. Oh, wait, all the one seeds made it, but yeah. yeah. The, year, the year before, the yeah. year before they were one seed. Anyways, they, they, they lose that game. They win that game. They, they set the tone for the rule of 69. And then I was at the game in Raleigh. I see Roy Hibbert again, and I see Steph Curry uh, change the game, basically, and say, big men, eh, not big so men much. Big men are out. Uh, yeah, we're going to shoot threes from now on. Uh, it was a changing of the guard of sorts. Uh, but I remember Roy Hibbert hitting – the irony is that Roy Hibbert hit a three to yeah. start – the race in the rule of 69 and then Steph Curry at the end of the year beats him with threes. I'll say it. Roy Hibbert was underappreciated in the NBA as well. Uh, Roy Hibbert has been under, he is a rim protector to the max. I mean, he was driving, he invented invented the the walling up at the rim. Like he he invented that. And if you said that people would mock, you'd have a bunch of like straight up and down, straight up and down. Oh, if you said that, then you'd have a bunch of 16 year olds on Twitter telling you Roy Hibbert. Oh, yeah. JaVale McGee was the first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Roy yeah. Hibbert, even I mean, Javel McGee does not think that, sir. Shit on Roy Hibbert all you want, but those Pacers Heat series, like, yeah, Hibbert was was a brick wall. Hibbert also ended uh, Greg's career. People forget that as well. Like Greg, Greg mm-hmm. came back for the Heat, and uh, he got a little 2014. run. Twenty fourteen, yeah, in the twenty fourteen Eastern Conference Finals, Greg gets in for I forget what the reason was because I think it was because of Hibbert because he just matched up well with Hibbert. Like Hibbert was a lumbering big man. Greg well, and like, wasn't Joel Anthony their center yeah, at the time? Yeah, he was like 6'9". Yeah. And, yeah. So Greg gets in, and Hibbert just goes nuts. And if you go back and, like, watch the game, and I don't know why you would. God bless you if you do. But uh, Hibbert, like, like there, Greg wasn't even playing that badly. Like, Hibbert was just playing out of his mind. Like, it was like unfinished business from the 07 Final Four. That Hibbert mm-hmm. just, like, like starts turning and facing, hitting jump shots on Greg. And Greg just has this look of, like – what the hell? Like, dude, I'm trying to like salvage a career here, and suddenly you're hitting yeah. shots. You have this, all this year. This is a big, old, this is a big on big crime. You know what yeah. I mean? You're supposed to be helping the bigs out. I'm you're trying to stay to, in the league, son. You're supposed to take two power dribbles and then throw up like a baby hook, and then maybe it goes in, yeah. maybe it doesn't. We all live with it. You're not supposed to be like doing a Tim Duncan jab step series on me. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, dude? and everyone like, man, Roy Hibbert is really uh, his game has grown so much. I mean, look at Greg Oden compared to him. You and, know, then like, they, and then they pull Greg from the game. He never gets back in, and then he just basically flames out, and retires. After that, and that was that was the end of that. Um, all right, my final pick to wrap this thing up, and we'll uh, we'll we'll get out of here. When Dan Dockage took the West Virginia job for eight days and then quit, and then West Virginia turned into the uh, the great basketball program we know and love. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That is not my pick. It could be. That's actually a good pick. I mean, I was gonna say, is I, if you said 2010 West Virginia, the backyard brawl uh, with with Pitt and West Virginia, that was your final pick. That would have been the one thing yeah. that gets like the Pitt and West Virginia fans are like, yes, we are old biggies. The, the yeah, the 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 joke was the Dockage. Uh, you know, what, what he 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 tries to make it look like West Virginia was the bad guy and that he mm-hmm. was wrong. And West Virginia's like, well, we'll just hire John Beeline instead, and then we'll hire mm-hmm. Bob Huggins, and mm-hmm. away we go. And now we're great. <laughs> now we have a great program. My final pick was when Jim Beheim called Andy Katz an idiot in a post game press conference in 2013. Andy Katz mm-hmm. was asking Beheim what the series with UConn has meant to Beheim. It was it was it was Syracuse's last run in the Big East. They were getting ready to join the ACC. The Big East was was blowing up. UConn Syracuse was obviously a great rivalry throughout the Big East years. Uh, two two OG Big East members. It, it was coming to an end. Now Andy Katz was going to ask the coach who had seen it all, had been at Syracuse the entire Big East run, what is this series with UConn meant to Bayheim? Jim Bayheim said, and I quote, "I'll answer anybody's questions but yours because you're mm-hmm. an idiot and really a disloyal person." 
And then mm. someone else asked him a question and he turned and he answered the next question. And I thought that was great because, uh, again, that's how Jim Beheim was. He had one speed. It was mm-hmm. pettiness. It was like, mm-hmm. I, I don't care. I'm not going to be sentimental. I'm not going to be nostalgic. I'm going to be petty to the end. I'm going to see this thing through to the finish line. And that's what he did. So uh, that is my number 10 pick, Jim Beheim calling Andy Katz an idiot for no discernible reason. <laughs> and it's a perfect pick. And I, and I think one more thing we have to say in 2011, he did point out to the world that uh, you can't judge people, uh, players or coaches on a little segment in time. Uh, there's coaches in, at the Hall of Fame. He said he had beaten 80% of the time. And, you know, we're talking about being a humble guy. That is not what the old Big East is about. It's about uh, making bold statements. It's about, you know, being as bombastic, having the hubris uh, that you need to have and, and setting a tone and setting a statement as to who you are and to what define you as a program. And a lot of it felt like mafia bosses. And, uh, and I think that's why uh, it worked out so well. Again, Rick Pitino thrived in this era. Um, the gyms, you know, obviously are always going to be revered and remembered. And I think the only thing that I have to say is for the whole lineage of the Big East, we, we got a cheapened send-off for mm-hmm. what was so great. Yeah. And uh, that's that's unfortunate. We did. Uh, Louisville won the national title in 2013 in the final year of the Big East and then had it taken away, which is cheapened. somehow yeah, poetic, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, UConn is back, though, Tate. It's, mm. They're back. The Big East is back. We're excited for it. Uh, now we just got to get Syracuse back. We got to get Boston College back. Um, we got to get everyone. We got to get Rutgers back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Rutgers back. That's a big one. That's what we're waiting on. We need Rutgers back at the Big East. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, wrap this thing up. Summer's here, and it's time to enjoy the season. That means it's time to feed your yard with Scott's. It's easy to help your lawn stand up to summer's wear and tear, to keep it lush and green and help prevent those brown spots. It's time to get outside and enjoy every day. And Scott's has got you covered. Because even though this summer may feel different, the best things never change. So let's get to it. It's time to enjoy your yard. Scott's, it's good out here. Meal time. It's coming. So what's it going to be today? Gas station hot dog? Frozen microwave mini meal? Soup from an envelope? Or are you ready for something uncommonly delicious, like the famous hook and ladder sub from Firehouse Subs? The hook and ladder is one of our most popular subs for good reason. We start by piling your sub high with freshly sliced smoked turkey breast and Virginia honey ham. Then we top it with melted Monterey Jack. And then, oh man, it's served piping hot in a perfectly toasted roll. This is no ordinary sub. This is the melt-in-your-mouth meaty masterpiece. The Hook and Ladder from Firehouse Subs. Save time and order yours on the Firehouse Subs app or on firehousesubs.com. And we'll have it hot and ready to go at our Rapid Rescue to Go area inside Firehouse Subs. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. All right, so let's wrap this thing up. We'll get the shout-outs, closeouts. Uh, before we do, though, if, if, if let us know the ones we forgot. There's so many. Mm-hmm. I, I had... I had a bunch of other ones on my my Big East moments I'm talking about that, that we forgot to mention because um, I don't even really necessarily think we forgot. Like I wanted to talk about UConn in 2004 winning the men's title and the women's title on back-to-back days and then doing it again 10 years later. That was awesome. 
Um, there, there's so I'm not even gonna get through the list because this, this show's already long enough. But uh, ones that you felt like that's a great one though. Yeah, that one, that yeah. one should have been. Yeah. That is uh, that's that's a miss. That's a missed. Uh, yeah, that's a blind spot for us. We we uh, I mean, 04 I remember more vividly than 14 because 14, like you said, they were out of the Big East, so it doesn't count. It doesn't so count. That'll we give us care. a reprieve. Yeah, yeah we yeah, don't yeah. care we'll, about. We'll give ourselves. A reprieve. We only care about the old Big East. <laughs> care about 04, uh, yeah. But yeah, any moments, any stories, any legends, any um, uh, anything that we we forgot, let us know because uh, we cannot get enough of this and we're very excited you is back uh all right shout outs close outs let's wrap it up uh shout out to sean hurley he was a fox family member with us works with us and uh, he is the first person that i ever met in my entire life that was uconn basketball through and through in fact had a disgust towards me being a carolina fan uh said that the acc had polluted the minds of college basketball fans and made them more ignorant these are the things that he would say to me and honestly it gets me fired up because it's very similar <laughs> to what a duke fan would say um, UConn fans in general, they are college basketball fans. They are not basketball fans. They are college mm-hmm. basketball fans. I cannot stress that enough. Um, you know, if you ask Sean about, you know, how Jim, uh, Jim Calhoun is able to win in 99, it's because he lost in 90 to coach K and Christian Leitner mm-hmm. on a double clutch shot. And Jim Calhoun every single day was going to the gym, <laughs> thinking about that moment, replaying it, replaying it, replaying it, saying, I'm going to get back to that game. I'm going to beat Duke. And he goes back to the title game and wins it. Uh, so I just want to shout out to UConn fans because in the world of the Lazarus Project where we're trying to revive college basketball, we need true blue college basketball fans. And UConn fans are that. Hurley so is certainly one of them. He has, a, yes. he has a Husky named Kimba. Um, and <laughs> yeah. the first time I learned about that, I, I asked him, where did you go to school, Sean? It doesn't. Ha- it didn't happen to be UConn, did it? Did that? <laughs> and that- guess what? It wasn't UConn. It was Syracuse, and he's still a UConn basketball fan because he's from Connecticut. The Wait, man, no to- shit. Yeah, he went to Syracuse as a Syracuse journalism major and was a oh, UConn no. basketball fan the entire time no. in Syracuse. I forgot that, that is what I'm talking about, folks. That is a UConn basketball fan. That is a college basketball fan. That is I'm a Jim Calhoun over Jim Beheim, is- and I was ever ever. I'm, I'm hitting the sorry. I'm calling. I'm hitting the. the I, I don't know what police squad I'm calling to to come do something about this, but I'm hitting the button and I'm saying that that is a big time no for me. You cannot. <laughs> you cannot be a UConn fan if you went to Syracuse. I, I won't allow it. Remember, he infiltrated the enemy to know oh, that he shit. was going to go into journalism to then talk Dude. about the enemy. That is genius. He's not our boss, is he? Can he fire us? <laughs> I don't. I don't I'm, think so. I'm sure he can. Because I, I gotta look at watch what I'm saying here. I don't want to get too heated. <laughs> I want to shout out Spencer Dinwiddie, who announced <laughs> that he, you know, the NBA came out and said that they're going to allow players to put uh, social justice causes on and instead of their last name. I mean, we saw this with the Premier League; they're putting Black Lives Matter um, on the backs of their jerseys instead of their players' last names. The NBA apparently is 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 letting it be a free for all. You don't have to put Black Lives Matter. You can if you want. Uh, but you could, any cause that is near and dear to your heart, except probably, I'm going to go out on a limb, probably not the Hong Kong situation. I'm guessing mm. they're not going to love that. But don't do that. Spencer Dinwiddie tweeted, he's going to put out Trillion on the back of his jersey, uh, which I got very excited about. Trillions are my brand. Um, it turns out it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the national. Bun B. The, the national, yeah. <laughs> had to do with the national deficit. He wanted he wanted to make that his cause. Uh, so shout out to him for putting Trillion on the back of his jersey. But wait, Tate. Also, at the same time, he just tested positive for coronavirus. So whether he even plays in this thing is still up for debate. So 
But I still think you put the jersey up. You know what I yeah. mean? You still sell the jersey. I think you need to get that jersey. Yeah. Like I said, Bun B, anyone from H-Town that represents themselves as a trillionaire deserves that jersey. Um, I think it will be bad if he does get in the game and has to come out and is actually putting up a trillion, posting a trillion. I got to say, that would be a, you, you just, yeah, that would you just reminded me, me making the Club Trillion logo be a, a, a ripoff of the Run DMC thing. Genius branding on my part because I have found that many professional athletes buy my shirt that says club trill and, and in the run DMC style. And I am there. There's a 0% chance. They know what that, what no, they, the they, they, they thoroughly believe that is a, uh, like an H town's finest version. Yes. Of a run yes. DMC. And, uh, uh the, I, the I, I lucked into that one. We'll put it that way. I, I was not aware of the concept of, of, of the word trill before I started mm. the, the club mm. trillion blog. And my God did, am I blessed that I chose the way I did because it, it all it all lined up perfectly. Now I have I have a picture of one of the one of the I think it's Slack, one of the stupid social media platforms I don't use. Um, mm-hmm. My profile pictures: DeAndre Jordan wearing a Club Chill shirt, and there's there's no world in which he knows what Club Trillion is. I remember no who, who was like Katie Nolan or someone in the All Star game. Wore yeah, it. she wore it in the celebrity the celebrity All Star game. And then like she right. even was like, "What do yeah. you mean?" Yeah, like, I reached uh-huh. out to her. I was like, "I was like, sweet shirt." She's like, "Huh?" <laughs> She's literally like, Hamilton. Yeah, I know. <laughs> She's like, "Uh, like what you talking about, dude? <laughs> What's yeah. going on here?" Uh, yeah, shout out to yeah, shout out to Club Trillion. That's uh, like you said, great brand. And uh, thank you, Spencer for bringing it back in the ether. But then you went and got Corona, and now you're not even going to play. But oh well. <laughs> oh well, we'll see what happens. Uh, there, there's plenty of time. Uh, shout out to Greg Oden and Kevin Durant. Mm. And uh, I say that because yesterday on Twitter uh, I was seeing everyone uh, you know pointing out the fact that this was the day this day in history mm-hmm. is the day that Greg Oden was picked number one da, da, da. and I just want to say in the one and done era that we you know point to since 06 there's not been a more dominant one and done duo to ever deliver the way that those two did in the sense that Greg Oden and Kevin Durant lived up to the billing unlike anything I've ever seen mm. in the sense that they walked into the game of basketball knew how to play the game of basketball and then punished and dominated kids mm-hmm. while being kids. Mm-hmm. And Greg Oden w- was force. Greg Oden was skilled. Greg Oden was dunking all over people. The, the clip that we saw on Twitter that someone put up of him dunking all over Noah and space, and all these guys. Yeah. Um, that was great to see. I loved Greg. Uh, I loved watching Greg play basketball. I think people have forgotten how great he was. I think he's like Anthony Bennett or something. Yeah. Anthony Bennett was nothing like a Greg Oden in basketball. Not even close. Not even close. And Kevin Durant on the other side, for someone to be so sinewy and, and lanky and, and seemingly not in the right body, yeah, he was so smooth. And it was just uh, like, it was just those guys who want to play basketball. And I don't know. We got a lot of guys that come in and get hyped. And I always feel like they're learning the game of basketball. Those guys knew the game of basketball, and they came in ready to dominate. And uh, that, that's uh, that's all I want to say. Greg was great. Oh, when Greg played, he was great. Greg, uh, Greg uh, is, is marked the end of microfracture surgery. People forget that, that like everyone was yeah. getting microfracture, and then Greg Oden had like 12 of them. He had a punch card, and his <laughs> he bought 10, and then his 11. And then two years later, they're like, these are not. Yeah, they're like, huh. Well, this yeah. is, yeah, Greg Greg would have basically, I think he would have been basically like Joel Ellenbead, except like more regret. Like, Greg, I, I've never seen anything like him. When Greg gets on the, he's, he's the nicest, gentlest guy. Uh, and then when he gets on the basketball court, he's just an absolute maniac. And it's like a, he turns into the Hulk and just, yeah, he wants to dunk the ball on your head. That's what it feels like. It feels like every time he catches the ball on the block, it's like this countdown: three, yeah. two, <laughs> one, bang. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Greg Oden, the original best recruit since LeBron. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to bring that full circle, uh, I want to shout out to friend of the program, Justin Anderson, who got the Titus and mm-hmm. Tate bump. He is signed with the Nets. He is replacing Wilson Chandler for now. 
as we're, we're possibly Spencer uh, Timley. And, and, I mean, and yeah. yeah, he's gonna he's <laughs> yeah. gonna be the last man standing on the nuts. But Justin Anderson getting his big opportunity after coming on our show. Is it a coincidence? Is it not? Who's to say? I mean, at a certain point, you have so many data points with the Titus and Tate bump. I think it speaks for itself. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's where we're at. Justin Anderson comes on the show. Now he's back in the league. So you're welcome, Justin. There you go, Justin. Uh, speaking of guys that are back in the league or getting picked up, shout out to Theo Pinson. Uh, Theo Pinson gets cut by the Nets to make a roster spot, uh, I believe, for Tyler Johnson. And then he, he gets cut and everyone's kind of like, oh, that's doom and gloom. I hate to see that. And then all of a sudden, the New York Knicks say, hey, wait a second, we would like to have fun on our bench. Like, everyone, no one has fun in MSG anymore. Mm-hmm. Alonzo Trier, our young, promising scorer, let's cut you, and then let's get Theo <laughs> Pinson uh, on the team. I think Trier's a, a great prospect. Obviously, you know, he's been up and down, but he's a great scorer. I think he'll have opportunities. But shout-out to Theo Pinson again on the Knicks, and uh, I, I think the Knicks are trying to make, like, a media-type team. You know what I mean? They get, like, <laughs> Worldwide West in there and Leon Rose and – you know they're building a bench mob out, so uh, the Knicks are going to be hilarious. I know the Knicks aren't in the bubble, but what if what if there's a team out there that, that is in the bubble that is purposely uh, putting a roster together that has mm. a strong immune system? They're purposely signing guys mm. that they think are not going to get the virus, and that's like their whole. They're not even worried about how good you are. They're just like we want to make sure that like our team is still standing. I guess that's more of a TBT thing, right? We got TBT starting this weekend, and they said that if anyone on the team has it, you're out. Mm-hmm. so basically like the, the one of the worst teams is good like whoever has the strongest immune system is going to win <laughs> yeah exactly or who doesn't want to report the I mean, yeah. yeah who knows how or who's that better yeah win. who's better at faking the test i was gonna say if there's one team i can think of in the nba that would try to do something like that it would be okc you know they yeah. would just try to or the, or the rockets you know one of these teams that's just like whatever it takes uh like you know uh, james harden is eating iron pills you know 49 times a day to, <laughs> to, to you know whatever it may be um, yeah, they seem like the type of team that would do that. Uh, I want to shout out Dickie V, who, again, is tweeting about <laughs> LSU. He says that a source is telling him that Arizona and LSU are going to be notified of violations at the end of July or early August. So mark your calendar. That is coming. Mm. We are about a month away from Dickie V's prediction coming to fruition that the, the, the bomb is being dropped on Arizona and LSU. They are facing, according to Dickie V, level one charges. Yeah, he's never been wrong before on any of this stuff. So uh, get excited about that. That is our source. That is our scoop. Uh, and that is uh, what we got. We have something to look forward to in college basketball because Dickie V also pointed out, Mark Titus, that he has a plan just in case we don't have college basketball starting on time. He said, here is his five-part plan at ESPN PR. He said, start it in January. Mm, only like play it. league games. Mm-hmm. Only play the tournament. Only play March Madness. And then I can't remember the fifth one, but I'm pretty sure that's all he said. Maybe he only listed four. But those are – that's his plan. Come back in January. We do that. We get a tournament. We get league conference play that matters. We get a tournament, you know, in conference that matters. And then we get the, you know, the I think they should play it. I think they should also play it in Orlando. I think they should fly every college basketball team to Orlando, yes. put them mm-hmm. up in a bubble. No, even better. All- let's fly them to Maui. Let's get everyone to Maui. <laughs> yes. and let's, let's play in the Lahaina Center where it can only just be two teams in there anyway. Yeah. It's only big enough for two teams. Yeah, it's and a, it's a, just play this it's thing a freaking out. island. Like, it's literally shut off from the rest of the world like how hard is this fly every fly every all 397 whatever it is college 352 college basketball teams to maui mm-hmm. let's play the mm-hmm. entire season out on at the line mm-hmm. civic center i love it i love it non-stop games 24 hours of basketball a day you talk about programming bill Wong's Dude. losing his mind He's like, how many games have I called? Who says no not us shout out also to northwestern big 10 stat of the day tate the northwestern wildcats Currently have the number three recruiting class in the class of 2021. Two things to keep in mind there. Currently. Bag drop. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, currently. So, like, I'm sure, you know, let's check back in in three months and they're going to be at, like, 28th 
but right now they're number three. And number two, uh, the thing we should point out, number three. It's it's like a it's a perfect quintessential Northwestern stat. It's like, oh my God, we're number three. We're doing it. Mm-hmm. This is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We're so close. We're, we're so we're, so we're, close. We're not quite two, and we're definitely not one, but we're close. That's it. Uh, anything else before you? Go? Uh, congrats to John Hamm for finding love. I, I saw that the other day. I just want to shout out John Hamm. I feel like uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there looking for love, but thank God, one of the most handsome men in the world mm-hmm. found it. He found it. He found a woman yeah, that it. would be willing to. Uh, he did it. To love. He him. did it. That's, thank you, John Hamm. What a, it, it, you know, if you can do it, I think we all can. I think that's we all we can. Learned. Come on. <laughs> what an underdog story that is. Oh, shout out to. Uh, I want to shout out. I was giving you the opportunity to do it. You mm. you didn't want to. I'll do it. Chet, yeah. Chet Holmgren, number one recruit mm. in the 2021 class. He's got Ohio State, North Carolina in his final seven. Just came out with his final seven. You obviously don't care. You didn't want to bring it up. So I'm going to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Chet, if you're listening, I love you. Come to Ohio State. Come to Columbus. Uh, we will treat you right. We will give you whatever it is you need. Um, you can take a shit at the Mark Titus bidet. Mm-hmm. It's all there for the taking. Come to Ohio State, buddy. I, I could tell I don't really follow recruiting that closely because I saw the Chet Holmgren, like the news that was when he, when he listed his final seven. Everyone is this was like, Mike Holmgren's son or they something? Said, like, who is number one recruit Chet Holmgren out of Minnesota? And I was like, that can't be. What? Number yeah. one mm. So Chet Holmgren is the number one recruit. Amani <laughs> uh, Bates is the number one recruit. Kate Cunningham is the number one recruit. And Jalen Green is the number one recruit. Who, and Jonathan Kuminga, right? And there's yeah, another Jonathan guy that's Kuminga, like a also no- number one recruit. We have five yes. number one recruits. So yes, Bronny James also the number one recruit. Mikey Williams also the number one recruit. I yeah, want to shout out. I want to shout out before we go, like all the recruiting services in general, because like yeah. what a racket! Congratulations to these guys that they're. they're Man. Just, Speaking of, shout out. out to Evan Daniels. Evan, Evan Daniels went from, I mean, when I was at Inside Carolina, Evan Daniels was like a scout, recruiter, you know, insider. And now he's going to CAA to be an agent uh, for college basketball coaches. So, like like you said, the recruiting services, what a come up, you know. I mean, what, what a changing of the guard. So, here we are. This is unbelievable. What a, what a, what an absolute right. All you got to do is just say a bunch of guys are number one, build up all the hype. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and then you get yourself mm-hmm. – you got yourself a nice little business. Yeah, the only time that they messed up with that was uh, the one guy that I would say is that they really messed up was Shabazz Muhammad. You know what I mean? That was the yeah. one. They were like, the next LeBron, and everyone's like, are you sure? It was like Xavier Henry or Shabazz Muhammad. I, you argue you argue which one. I love Shabazz Muhammad, though. Like, the talent. Me, too. Like, I, I loved his attitude. I love just, like, he he just I, – I was – He was going for the bag. He was like, yeah, whoever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he, like, he, he, he literally had the bag, right? Wasn't he the guy yes. that had, like, the Gucci bag at the postgame press conference? And, and everyone's like, Shabazz, what are we doing? Like you're, you can't just come out literally wearing the bag. But that was him, right? That had like the uh, I swear it was. Honest, uh, yeah. I mean, that I makes think he sense. He went to a post game press conference wearing like a three thousand dollar Gucci bag, and <laughs> I was like, you know, what? You know, the only when you as soon as you said Gucci like bag or Gucci, I don't think it was. I remember Ja'Cory Harris, who was the quarterback for Miami. We're gonna get back to the old Big East. Ja'Cory Harris were said that if he uh, was in the the first list of the Heisman, like six weeks into the season, he was gonna wear a pink Gucci suit. Um, <laughs> And then he played, and, he, and I was at that game. He played North Carolina, and he threw like five picks that day. And I was <laughs> like, wasn't wasn't in the Heisman. And uh, in the post game press conference, they were like, "Man, Jacory Harris, like we we call him Santa Claus because he was just giving presents out every day." <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, the Gucci suit and oh. the press conference. There's a story. Oh, oh fantastic! Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you to UConn. Thank you to the Big East. Thank you to Dave Gavitt for inventing the old Big East. Thank you to, <laughs> to college basketball in general. This was fun, Tate. We've been, we've been doing a lot of uh, uh, we've been covering a lot of other sports and a lot of other stuff. It's good to get back in the saddle and just talk sh- almost strictly college basketball today. Yeah. That was uh, that was very exciting. We'll be back later this week. Thank you, guys. See you then. Old Big East forever. <laughs> <laughs>